That's the best part for me. That's what really <laughs> seals the deal with the goon bag is the goon bag pillow. Yeah, it is. It's just, it's it's like drunken Aussie MacGyver shit. Yeah, wow. I mean, the the Jaily is also that, I guess. But, I mean, I guess you do that here too, so it's not really Aussie MacGyver shit. It's kind of... No, but it's a lot more charming when it's called a Jaily. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like you need to go like, hey, with your arm when you do <laughs> hey, it. Hey, let's go do a couple of fucking Jaileys, can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Welcome to the Mr. Bill Podcast. I'm Anand Harsh, Editor-in-Chief of TheUns.com, Bill's manager and anxious chauffeur. The podcast is back in full swing after the Phantasmagoria hiatus. Please keep listening to the album and sharing it with your friends. We've got some incredible remixes on their way from outstanding artists of Bill's ilk. I'll tell you more about that soon. Today's guest is Ill Gates, a longtime friend and collaborator of Bill's. The guys talk about eating kangaroos and production tips. What else do you think they talk about? Ill Gates is in the midst of his massive run, The Arrival Tour. It's ranging all over the country and into Canada. And the guys actually have a Mr. Bill Gates set at Otherworld in Ohio on November 20th. If you're a Patreon member, you're getting the show a week early. Thanks for all your support. We appreciate you hanging in there, and we'll get some cool perks up there soon. Bill's doing an IDM set and Kill Bill set in St. Louis this weekend. The Saturday show is sold out, and Friday is well on its way. At the end of the month, Bill hits Nightmare Festival Freaky Deaky in Houston and then L.A. on Halloween proper. The first and third shows of the weekend are Kill Bill dates, and the middle date in Texas is a back-to-back set with Freddie Todd. Finally, head over to Mr. Bill's tunes.com to sign up to become a hardcore Abletoneer. This is how you become better at making electronic music, period. That's all for me. Enjoy Bill's chat with Ill Gates. Oh yeah, and it's like two and a half hours long, so enjoy this double dose. The Mr. Bill Podcast will melt your face. Cause the Mr. Bill Podcast is a cure for AIDS. You wanna make dick? You wanna get rich? You wanna lose weight? Well, you're in the right place. Hello, 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 ladies and gentlemen, boys slash girls, children of all ages, welcome. To the Mister Bill. Boys plus girls. You have to say like. Uh, I said just, slash. It was yeah, slash. You, slash that, girls. That includes all. Ju- that includes but it doesn't. Ju- it doesn't include trans. It was slash. It's a continuum, Bill. Okay. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. I'll you're, do it again with no gender, saying... no mention of genders whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, we don't want to get canceled, dude. Okay, ready. Three, two, one. Hello, 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 you lovely listeners, wherever life finds you on this wonderful what, what about day. The death? I, what, what, what about people who can't listen because they're deaf and they're watching on YouTube with uh, CC subtitles? This is not inclusive, but you don't want to get canceled on Twitter, bro. Okay. All right. I'll try it again. All right. <laughs> okay. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Mr. Bill podcast. On this very fine day, I will be inclusive. your host. Pardon? It's pretty inclusive. <laughs> okay. Okay. Last time, I swear, I'm gonna. It's gonna be great. No, no, no. That, that was very inclusive. Like that. That's fine. You could. Just, it was like, pretty good. It's yeah, pretty yeah. good. Okay. Well, hey, well, welcome wherever you are listening or viewing or brailing. This is the Mr. Bill podcast, and today, 
as a radical departure from the norm, I will be your host. It is I, Ilium B. Gates III, Esquire, Jr., or something. And uh, Mr. Bill has graciously allowed me to turn the tables because I have a lot of questions for him, and I'm sure you do too, about his fantastic new album, Phantasmagoria, that is currently ripping up the charts and making a whole lot of people very happy. I listen to it lots of times, and I have many burning questions, but we also have a whole bunch of listener questions to get to, and I'm absolutely thrilled that uh, Bill's given me the chance to ask him these questions in a public forum. Thank you, Bill, for coming on my podcast, the Mr. Bill podcast. <laughs> yeah, thanks, man. This is a cool idea. This has actually happened once before at the start of Jan and I's relationship. We're in Melbourne traveling together and she was like, oh, you have to, like, you know, you're trying to do a podcast episode every week. Like we're in Melbourne. You don't really have anyone here to interview. I was trying to interview Circuit Band, but they didn't want to do it. So she was like, oh, how about like I interview you? And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. Let's do that. So this has happened once before where Jan interviewed me on my podcast. Uh, so so this is the second second time, but I think this will be completely different. So Yeah, this- very cool. Uh, very cool. Jan is a, a pretty swell gal. I've uh, had the luck to have spent some time with her, and she's a very fun person to to be around. Um, and I actually, uh, th- I you know, I'd love it if you could tell us a little bit more about how you two met, because um, when I when I talk to you and uh, check out your social medias and stuff, it seems like you two are in love, and that is a beautiful, wonderful thing. So I was hoping that uh, you know, before we get into the music, you could you could just tell us a little bit about how how you two met and fell in love, because that's awesome. Yeah. So basically, like I played Priceless Festival, which is this small festival. I mean, I know you you know what it is, but I'll, for people who don't know what it is, it's this like small sort of four hundred person festival that happens in Northern California every year. Uh, at Belden Town, which is this like weird little, I guess it's like a river, and alongside the river runs like a bunch of cabins and shit. And it's an old gold rush town that yeah. was a ghost town and was resuscitated as a music festival and party town. Yeah, so now it's just like this thing where people have parties all the time. A missions festival there, Still Dream Festival is held there, um, and and Priceless, this very very small festival, is held there, and it's kind of like pretty exclusive. Like the only people, it's it's small. It's like four hundred people. So to an artist, like a lot of the time they don't get it. They're like, oh, what the fuck, four hundred? Like, like this is small. Like I'm used to playing, you know, big clubs like with way more people than that or whatever. But the thing is, is like the quality of person you're playing for at Priceless is like the Google CEO and shit and like it's you know, pretty much the cool kid club. Exactly. It's like the like the real high up level tech community go to that festival. So it's like to play there is really a, a, a good privilege, I think. But anyway, so I played there and Jan, um, who's, you know, as people on uh who are regular listeners of this podcast have heard plenty about is like, you know, one of those really cool tech people. She was at the festival and we didn't actually talk there. But later on, she like messaged me on SoundCloud and was like, hey, really good set at uh, Priceless. I try to like every year when I hear or, you know, when people's sets really impress me, I try and like, you know, go go through SoundCloud afterwards and thank them. So she thanked me and then we just started chatting and just like hit it off really well. Uh, and from there, uh, started dating like a few months later. I think like uh, from the time she messaged me to uh, I, actually, I think from. Yeah, that was priceless. And then she messaged me a few days after that. And then I think we started dating like two months after that or something. Yeah, it was, I, it was, uh, I remember 
talking to you when you two were getting together and it was so oh, awesome to oh, see so, to see so the like butterflies and like <laughs> the stokage and stuff uh, was there like a was there like a turning point when you like you were like fuck it i'm going in uh i think pretty it was pretty quick it was like um yeah i think like no more than uh shit like i don't know i i would say like a couple of days of chatting to her or like a week at most probably and i was like this chick is like way too cool like because if she's very modest too right and like you know she she initially like when when we first started chatting she was like yeah i'm a hacker you know like i do hacking it's like you know a lot of people say shit like that and it's like oh yeah cool like you probably fucking messed around with like touch designer once or something or like you know you probably like I don't know, Circa Benicasio or some shit. One yeah, you didn't one. realize she was a Silicon Valley rock star. Yeah, exactly. And then, like, I once I fully realized the extent of, like, what kind of hacker she was, I was like, oh, wow, it's, like, the real deal. Like, she's literally, like, at the top of the security levels in, in the internet world. So I was like, yeah, this chick's fucking amazing. And, a, you know, good fit for somebody like me, I think, because I'm, like, also very um, busy-minded and, like, trying to, learn about technology and crap all the time so it's like just a good combination though i'm you know very much on like the music technology side of things and she's very much on like the uh internet security technology side of things so i was like we had, we had a lot of like crossover parallels to talk about and stuff which was cool so you know what the turning point for me was when i was like okay this, this girl's rad what was was when she hacked you and told you what all your passwords were mm. that yeah, was that pretty was, cool talk about uh, a power move <laughs> Yeah, that was funny. Um, the first time she visited me in Denver and we were like chatting over lunch or whatever, she was like, hey, um, by the way, I like know, I know what your password is. And I was like, what is it? And then she told me what it was and I was like, fuck. And I felt like so insecure. I was like, God damn it. Like, is, is it really that easy to get it? And she's like, yeah, super easy. Like your password's just out there. I was like, fuck. And then That's I was like- so awesome. After that, I spent literally like two days like, changing every password i had using one password um just like yeah it took a fucking long time but it was and it felt yeah i don't know it feels very like oh man to get hacked it's the worst like you feel so fucking bad about it and you feel like embarrassed right because you're like man i'm so dumb like i should have changed my like how could i let this happen but the only way to really get around is to use a password manager so so which did she steal first your passwords or your heart Oh, that's a good question. I think my heart, I think she like, but the, I don't know who, who knows, man. She does a lot of like hacking shit in her spare time. She might've done this on day one. I, I don't know. She, you don't know. She, she just, you don't know what she's uh, up to. Exactly. She, she only, uh, like exposed me to that information the first time we met. So she, who, who knows? She might've done it at the airport while she was waiting for a flight or something. Well, she's super rad and, and dude, I'm she, happy. Dude, she found like a, a bunch of my friends passwords after that too because like once i knew she had this power to like find passwords i was like oh sick run like dylan's email through it run, run. <laughs> yeah thankfully like, mine were secure i was pretty yeah, stoked I was like, about that dude i was like run tiffa's one through it she found tiffa's password oh like, do you know how many wooks <laughs> would like step over their dead mother for that password oh yeah dude, we told him to change it and he did obviously and like probably um, the only I way sam bot will ever be released 
Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Is that like one of his, like, it's a, you know, the, the big tipper tune where it's like, um, uh, you know, like br- Brazilian drumming. And, oh yeah. Uh, dude. There's like oh. the call and answer Samba tune that he's yes. been playing unreleased for like a decade. Yeah. He played more. it. Um, he played it last in his set at Red Rocks on the uptempo night. It was so sick. Yeah. It's late. He's been closing sets with that for like 15 years and it's still so sick. It's apparently called Sambot. And he's never going to put it out because he's tipper and he hoards his eggs like a dragon. So I asked um, Dave Vella, his manager, about this one time. I'm like, you mean yeah, the why? wolf? Are you talking about the wolf? Is that is that his nickname, the wolf? Yeah, that's that's what they call him. At least that's what he says they call him. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, the wolf. So, so we're talking. Okay, just making sure it's the same, Dave Vella. Isn't it? Isn't the wolf also like that guy from um, Pulp Fiction? Is it or Reservoir Dogs? He's like, I fix problems. He like comes in and he's like. Yeah, he's he's the wolf with like a lowercase the, whereas okay. Dave Feller has a capital T on the wolf. Too. Yeah, all right, capital T. Yeah, so I was I was chatting with the wolf and I was like, dude, why does Tipper not put out like any of this really sick shit? Like I have one one specific tune of his that I really like, and I like it so much that I filmed it when I saw him play it. Like he played it once at a show and I was like, what is this tune? It's so good. And then I saw him play. I've seen him play like a bunch of times now, and then the. I saw him again play at uh, Sonic Bloom, I think it was. And I was like, what the fuck is this tune? I was like, and I, I like got my phone out and recorded it. And then I like to, to ask him what it was, I figured out how to make like a couple of the sounds in it and was like, what's the song that has these sounds in it? And he was like, oh, it's called uh, Ruse. And then uh, over the years, I've like managed to get him to send that to me, which is like fucking awesome. Whoa. Though I asked when when he all, he was playing that tune again at Resonance Festival, and I was like, dude, this tune is like so good. It's like one of my it's like my favorite fucking tune ever, and like the sound design is so good, and everything about it is just fucking amazing. Why does he not put it out? And the uh, the Wolf, aka Dave Vela, was like, because if he puts it out, he'll make six grand. If he doesn't put it out, he'll come and play it here and make six figures. So he's like, that's why he doesn't do it. It's a fair point. Yeah, it is a fair point. It's good economics to not put it out, but who who else does that work for, right? Like other than Tiffa? I mean, I have like a whole bunch of tracks that will never ever come out. Um, but what's the reason for them? Not- so right. for my live show, so like my live show right now is like entirely unreleased tunes, pretty much because because I because I sit on them. And then another another big life hack that I found is that if you have a bunch of unreleased tunes and you really want people to promote something, like say your album, you can say, hey forward my album to all of your friends and I will send you an unreleased tune and you can bribe people to promote your music. It works great. Uh, that's a good, good hack. should use that one sometime. Yeah. I mean, I know you've got tons of unreleased tunes. I do, but they're like kind of the only reason they're unreleased is because they're not finished. Like I pretty much put most shit out that I finish if, if it's like, you know, good. And depending on what genre it is, I'll put it out like under different projects and stuff. Or, you know, like if it's, um, you know, obviously if it's like a house tune or an electro tune or whatever, I'll generally put it out as electricado. And, you know, if it's like a glitch or a dubstep or whatever else tune, I'll put it out as Mr. Bill. And then like some shit uh, just like, you know, makes its way into other projects, like some, like a bunch of unfinished shit I had laying around made its way into that mum and dad soundtrack. And then, um, yeah. So, so the only reason I have the unreleased shit is because they're half finished. And yeah, I'll play some of them in my sets and stuff, but um I don't know if Dave does that. I don't I don't know if he's like all these tunes that he's playing are half finished or if he's considering them completely finished and then just choosing not to put them out. 
Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. So I will say, ask him. So like his set at fucking Red Rocks like a few weeks ago was incredible, man. Like every, I, I watched the videos on Reddit. They were pretty fabulous. Dude, it, like every single tune was like a VIP of a VIP. It was like insane. Like everything was just butchered and re-edited and just insanity. And I asked him about it. I was like, what do you like? What the fuck is this? Why? Like, how did you do all this shit? And he like explained the process. He was like, yeah, basically I just like, yeah, open old sessions and just butcher tunes and i was like yep so it sounded like it was fucking sick um okay cool so um i've got a, a whole bunch of of questions for you um but let's uh let's let's i think get increasingly nerdy because you know lots of listeners are not necessarily music producers so we can keep the music producing questions uh for for you know towards the end Dude, um, we're not gonna be able to i don't think we're gonna be able to share this video if you're like sharing all your notes and shit on the screen Oh, you don't want me to, here, I'll like, I'll kill the video. Just a second. Where is Zoom? Oh, uh, um, yeah. How do I end screen sharing? It's being funny. I've lost maybe, my Zoom. Maybe oh, I can here we go. Hang on, stop share. There we go. Okay. Yeah, there you go. Okay, cool. And okay. Like now we can share. Okay, so yeah, edit that bit out. Yeah, Robert will just have to edit out any bits where it shows like sensitive information on your screen or whatever. Yeah, there's not anything sensitive. Okay, so um, yeah, all right. So I've got a whole bunch of questions here. There's some some of my questions and some questions from our lovely, lovely listeners and and fans. Uh, and I think we'll we'll do them, uh, you know, kind of going from questions that are interesting to everybody to questions that are just interesting for music producers at the end. I think that makes sense. Um, so uh, I've already asked you how you're doing and uh, how, how you met Jan. Um, but uh, I, I want to also say that you're really looking great, man. Every time I see photos of you or, uh, or talk to you or whatever, it seems like, you know, you've lost a little bit more weight and you're in a little bit better shape and uh, you're smiling a little bit more. So uh, I, was, I was hoping that you could, uh, you could tell us a little bit about what your, what your secret is. Yeah, so I guess uh, I just developed some different habits through quarantine, uh, more of which involved eating at regular times during the day instead of sort of just like snacking all the time uh, and took up some more hobbies, uh, which were kind of like pretty exercise intensive, uh, like mountain biking. I, I sort of I fell in love with mountain biking and started doing that like a couple of times a week. At first, it was like every day. And then it like kind of fell off for a bit. And now I go like maybe I try to do it twice a week, at least like on, on Saturdays and Sundays, if I'm around, um, not out for a show, uh, I should probably. Yeah. Cause I remember you were hitting the gym an awful lot before. Did you, did you switch gym for mountain biking when quarantine happened? Pretty much. And now like in, I don't ever go to the gym. I just mountain bike and rock climb. That's like my two things now. And I like I just got into rock climbing. I probably would have got into rock climbing a lot earlier after moving to San Francisco because it's like a huge thing in the tech community here. People say it's like the golf of the tech community because um, like every techie for some reason rock climbs. Um, so I got into that recently and that's been like uh, really good for improving forearm strength because like you're hanging on to shit and like that just, you, know, you get these ripped forearms out of it. Um, nice and yeah that and and it's pretty good cardio too actually because you know using all of your energy to hang on to some shit is like can wear you out pretty pretty quick uh, do, you, so, do you grip your mouse with like a, a vice-like strength now does it help, <laughs> uh, yeah, help you dude, produce? I've, 
I've broken like six mouses since I started rock climbing. I just like you know, go to grab it and just. <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so honestly honestly that has a lot to do with it i think is like just developing these different habits um my, yeah my lifestyle changed a lot through quarantine i think my lifestyle before quarantine was shit it was like essentially snacking uh which is really bad because <laughs> you don't know how many calories you're eating i mean you end up eating like fucking way more probably i was drinking a lot i gave up drinking yay uh, that, good job thanks i mean i still will drink sometimes but i take this medication now to control it um after realizing that i'm like very susceptible to alcoholism uh you know my, like my father's an alcoholic and it just runs in my family uh so i figured that out and now i'm now i take a drug called naltrexin every day which has really helped with alcoholism interesting so, yeah so i i drink like here and there but i never feel the urge like i used to to just like wow fully set. yeah like it used to be i would drink one beer and that buzz of the first beer would just be like, all right, we're going, send it. And just like, yep, drink like that's why drink. I can't drink. <laughs> yeah. It's like, you just want to drink like six or seven. Cause they're just like, you're like, that was good. Like fucking let's make that, you know, happen better and faster. Uh, but Naltrexin kind of like dulls that initial buzz. So it's, you drink a beer and you just kind of enjoy it for what it is. It's taste and it's, you know, you get a little buzz and you're just like, whatever, I can go without this with or without it. It doesn't bother me. So sort of got the drinking thing under control which is good i think that that's good man that's not easy a lot of people will go their their whole life and never get it under control so props to you on that my dog thanks yeah it isn't easy actually yeah i've been going to aa meetings also to help with that um like i went to one just before this actually uh uh yeah dude so um yeah honestly all those things like have a lot to do with it i think so and and the other thing which we we can't talk about Cool. Well, hey, uh, I, there was a, actually a listener question about uh, eating. Uh, there's a couple listener questions about food. So I think that's a, there's a nice segue to our food questions. So one of our listeners wanted to know what you like to eat for breakfast. Uh, dude, it's actually like always almost the same thing. Um, I make a smoothie which contains um, frozen berries. Uh, actually, I have an Amazon order showing up in like 40 minutes so I can do this again tomorrow. Cause I ran out of stuff this morning and I was all pissed off about it. I was like, God damn it. I can't do my smoothie. But like, <laughs> um, yeah, it's like frozen berries, um, banana, yogurt, almond milk. Um, it's coconut yogurt too. Cause like, real, yeah, I pretty much like cut dairy out as well. Yeah. Um, the, most people can't do dairy, especially as you get like over 30. It's not that I like wanted to cut it out for the reasons of like allergies or anything. I just cut it out because it's less calories. And mm. I, honestly, to me, it's kind of the same thing. Like if I'm drinking an, an almond milk smoothie versus like a cow milk smoothie, I don't feel like I'm missing anything with the almond milk, but I am missing like 200 calories of or something like that if I don't use cow Damn, milk. Damn, milk has that many calories? I see, I've, I've never been able to do dairy, so I don't know these things. Yeah, milk has a shitload of calories. Uh, yeah, if you just like kind of find things in your diet that have like all these extra calories, you can just like kind of find substitutes for shit and be like, cool, I can make the exact same thing, feel like I'm not missing anything and have like hundreds and hundreds of less calories that I'm consuming each day and feel just as full. That's um, awesome. Yeah, so anyway, so I do, uh, yeah, uh, those four items I mentioned plus PB2, which is a form of peanut butter, which again... It's way less calories than normal peanut butter. It's like a powdered version of peanut butter. 
cool. and to turn it into peanut butter you mix it with water if you want to turn it into peanut butter but i just put it in the smoothie and it just gives a peanut buttered flavor and i think like two tea two tablespoons of that is like i don't know 20 calories or something whereas two tablespoons of yeah, regular peanut, peanut tons tons of yeah. calories in any nut yeah two tablespoons of peanut butter is like fucking yeah 300 calories or something versus two tablespoons of this other shit is like 30 that's um, awesome yeah so that and then a little bit of soy protein again soy protein way less calories than whey protein and i'm also like kind of trying to be vegetarian vegan more like vegan-ish if i can hey i mean um, we're all gonna have to be vegan soon when the uh, climate know, collapse comes dude. yeah start eating crickets how, how do you feel about eating crickets so i had the chance to do that once in mexico and i didn't do it so uh that if i got the chance to again to they were chili crickets too it was like they were selling them on the side of the street and i've bags. had those they're they're pretty good i can tell you they're actually pretty good are they yeah yeah I it mean, seems I, gross but they're they just taste like a crunchy crunchy salty chili snack yeah i mean if i could get over the idea of it being a cricket i think it'd probably be fine but i was just like at the time i was like nah probably not gonna do that right now yeah it definitely seems gross at uh, at first but yeah, yeah, I'll I'll do it one day. But anyway, yeah, I can't make an, a good ethical reason um to eat meat. I read this book or actually listened to like I didn't even I didn't actually even finish it and it made me become vegan. Uh I I listened to like half the audiobook Eating Animals by John Safran. And yeah, dude, it it's like an instant if you don't become a vegan after that shit, like you're just an ethical monster and a dumbass basically. Yeah, I, I saw half of that film, Earthlings, and it sorry, an ethical monster, moral monster. Yeah, too. yeah, the, but the film Earthlings was like that too. I couldn't even finish watching it; it was just brutal. What is the film Earthlings? Uh, it's it's about like you know a human's relationship with animals, and uh, you know there's a section about well, a lot of it is about industrial capitalism's relationship with animals, and it's pretty rough, pretty rough stuff. Definitely don't watch it while you're eating. It's a documentary. It's not a film. Yeah, it's like a famous uh, documentary that's famously converted many people to veganism. Yeah, there was that other one on um, Netflix recently too, because a lot of people who get converted to vegetarianism uh, can s still somehow justify eating fish and like what you call because of that Nirvana song. Just blame Chris Cobain. <laughs> it's Cobain, okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. <laughs> yeah um so that netflix documentary came out seaspiracy yeah and i watched that shit and like now i'm like well i can't can't do tuna either and then i started just being like uh yarn actually read a bunch of books about dieting recently because she just got like super obsessed with it for some reason because she was just like oh yeah i really want to like you know read a bunch of diet books and just like figure out what the most optimal shit is to eat for like energy and and, and blood type actually has has a little bit to do with it too like uh, a lot of times when yeah. people are blood type o for example which is like the most old school blood type um a lot, i've heard i did this may be wildly incorrect it's also like I've, the rarest one isn't it yeah it's very rare but I've, I've often heard that people who have type o blood have trouble with a uh, vegan or vegetarian diet but i might be wildly incorrect i have never googled this yeah that might be true um i know there's definitely like a small subset of people who probably can't do a fully vegan diet healthily. And I'm sure there's like a very small subset of people who can't eat meat healthily or something. But those cases are probably so, so rare that like, 
definitely if we just kept eating meat to those people or whatever, it'd probably be fine. Uh, but anyway, she like read a bunch of books about diet and she came to the conclusion that after doing all of this research that basically plant-based diets are superior in like almost every way and they're way better for yeah. the planet. So I was like, all right, I trust you. You're pretty fucking smart. And like, you just did all this research. Um, so now I don't have to do the research. So I'm just going to trust you on this one. Have uh, you guys got a juicer yet? We don't have a juicer, but we have a smoothie, like a blender. Uh, dude, I never really got into the juices or the juicing. It's like it's, I, it's a, one of the best ways to consume like huge amounts of greens. Yeah, and, I know uh, people I'll, like put ginger in them and shit. I always find them to be like way too bitter or something. Yeah, you got you to kind of like get some celery or a cucumber in there or something to kind of like um, smooth them out. But uh, uh, if you really want to go all the way with the, the, the veganism and the health thing, um, all the people I know who are like in their 50s and 60s and still look like they're like 40 and go out to parties and enjoy yeah. their lives, a lot of them are like hardcore, like raw vegan diets and they juice uh, but yeah, I know a few people in the Burning Man community who are like that. And I'm like, how are you a superhuman? And they're like raw vegan diet and juicing mass amounts of greens all the time. And yep. they'll be hanging out like, well, everybody will be after partying and they'll be like sober hanging out till four in the morning with tons of energy looking like, like 10 plus years younger than they look. A lot of those people, raw vegan yeah. diet. Yeah, dude, it's fucking crazy. Like if you want to improve your uh, physical health, uh food's a fucking good really good place to start um it's like the most important thing to do to change i think if if you want to like i think honestly food is like like 80 percent of it i think exercise is like 20 percent of it yeah like, well especially for for you know they always say like um you know you you if you want to um get stronger you go to the gym and if you want to lose weight you go to the kitchen you know it's like yeah, totally. Absolutely, man. Yeah, you definitely don't lose weight. Like I fucking was um, going to this thing called Camp Gladiator for like two years straight. Whoa, that's, that sounds hardcore. It is hardcore. It's like really brutal, man. It's like outside with like heavy ass, like 35 or 40 pound dumbbells. And you're, do, you're doing like, you're going like hard the entire for an hour straight. It's basically like CrossFit, but with dumbbells and you're outside and doing sprints and fucking bear crawls and all sorts of crazy shit. And I was doing that for like two years straight, but at the same time, I was like eating, you know, whatever the fuck, like at airports and whatever the fuck at home and snacking all the time. And I was drinking every day and like, and I lost no weight in two years. And then during quarantine, I was basically for a lot of it, at the start of it, I wasn't working out at all, but I just pretty much stopped eating and just was drinking Soylent. I lost a shitload of weight. I was like, hmm, (laughs) maybe there's something to this food thing. Uh, that that actually brings me to another another question from one of our listeners was really really emphatic that I ask you this question, Bill. How do you feel about goat cheese? Goat cheese? Oh, so I don't really eat it that much. Like I said, I'm trying to be vegan, but um, there was for a while. I went through this phase uh, after going to Restaurant Depot once and just seeing this really interesting looking blueberry goat cheese. Whoa! Yeah, I got it once and like ate it, and I was like, this is the fucking best shit ever. So. I really like it and I really like it in salads. Um, you know, it gives it a bit of like punch and stuff. And I really like it on pizzas uh, for the same reason. It just kind of, you know, adds, yeah, I really like goat cheese. I just don't eat it that much, uh, if at all. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, goats, are, goats are pretty cool animals too. With their rectangular eyes and ability to walk up walls. 
They have rectangular eyes. They have rectangular pupils, bro. Look it up. It's wild. Goat wild. eyes. Wild. Goat oh, eyes are crazy looking. I don't know if it's so that they can see more of oh, the horizon shit. or something, but yeah, right? Yeah, I didn't. Have, I never realized this. Yeah, always, rectangular pupils. It's wild. Uh, I always like knew when I looked at a goat that like there was something fucking. They did look kind of alien and freaky, but I never realized that that was like one of the reasons. Also, their eyes are like on the side of their head, which is, I mean, and then, and their ears point like straight out. It's like everything about it is just. And are these the animals that just like run into each other and headbutt each other, or is that shit? Uh, those those are rams, but they're they're like similar. I think goats goats definitely headbutt things though too, and and I think uh, and don't I think they, like, rams eat, rams uh, are like male sheep, you know. Right. Um, um and and, but there are different uh, species, and some of them have big horns and butt heads all the time. But there are dinosaurs that butt heads. I'm pretty mm. sure there's headbutting lizards. You know, I've butted is, a head or two in my day. <laughs> um. um yeah, okay, goats cool. also can definitely walk up some crazy shit. I've I've seen mountain goats like on the side of some pretty unwalkable looking stuff, and it's just like how 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 is an animal that looks like that undynamic walking up the side of a hill like that? Yeah, it doesn't, it's, make, it's, doesn't it's make a insane. lot of sense. Maybe their their feet just are somehow kind of like spikes, and they're just like tent pegging their way into the side of the hill or something, kind of like an ice pick or something. I mean, they, they also might be interdimensional creatures. It's oft been That's speculated kind of, that they are interdimensional. Oh, uh, yeah. If you look at their feet, dude, they basically have like these two pincers. So they're just like digging their way in, I think. And that's how they're able to yeah i i bet if i had like two giant spikes on the, my shoes i could stay i could do the shit they do maybe and well you have them, been practicing with them. the rock climbing yeah like i would if i had two gloves that had like two pincers on them and two shoes that had two big pincers on them i'm pretty sure i could like knuckle my way up a hill or whatever i bet you someone in san francisco has come up with goat based rock climbing footwear yeah, potentially. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's, so there's such a thing in um, uh, rock climbing as sh uh, like the spectrum of um, your shoe goes from non-aggressive to to very aggressive, uh, and aggressive is like how curved the shoe is. Um, and essentially, on the very aggressive end, your foot kind of like gets curved into this really uncomfortable position and turns into like a little talon. Um, so, yeah, I'm sure someone's probably got like, the extra mile like there for ballet. Sure. But like climbing. Yeah. yeah, I use a non-aggressive shoe because I'm not that you know hardcore about it and I don't want to fucking destroy my feet. And I just can't deal with it. It feels really uncomfortable. Word. Okay, well, um, let's uh let's move on from lifestyle and uh start talking about music because I gotta say, that new record is mighty nice. It's mighty nice. Um so I want to start with the creative questions and then we'll get into the technical questions uh, later. Um, but let's just talk about like the big picture at first. So, um, you know, when you like, how, can you tell us a little bit about how the album took shape? Did you have a concept in advance or did you kind of just feel it out and, and let it go? Or like, uh, did you know it was going to be Phantasmagoria? No. Yeah. I was just writing a bunch of tunes during quarantine um, whenever I felt like it. And I actually had a chat with Hero Bust about this and he kind of has the same process. He like just works on music and then he's like, you know, this set of tunes feels like a family and this set of tunes feels like a family. And that was kind of how this one happens. The way that all my albums basically have happened is like 
you eventually like apophenia happened this way too i was in india in a hotel room and i was just like sitting around like bored and just like clicking through all my demos and i was like oh wait like if i just finished all these that would make like a sick idm album uh and then that's how apophenia happened and then the phantasmagoria one like i I finished like two or three tunes um and then i was like oh man these three tunes like they they sound pretty sick and then i was like "Hmm, maybe i could like you know actually have a few tunes that kind of have similar either styles of production or similar types of vibes or like similar kind like they're on i kind of put them on par as the as these other tunes that i think are like that are pretty good um, and then I had like, you know, six or seven tunes that I was like, oh, these are like fucking really good tunes, I think. Um, and then I had like, you know, nine tunes and I was like, oh man, these nine are good. And yeah, eventually it just like happened and I was like, oh, cool. It's an album now. And then I actually had way more tunes this time. Uh, usually I, I have not enough tunes and I end up just like pinning a couple of interludes or some shit in there to try and ma- turn it into like a long enough album. This time I, time I had like 35 tunes and I pared it down to 15 wow um so i have and the the other like 20 or so are not like finished or whatever they're just like whips but they're ones that i decided like not to invest energy into versus the 15 that i didn't decide to invest energy into cool so um the only one that i recall from before the album was the not bad tune is that uh is that the oldest one or which there were a lot of people wanted to know which was the oldest uh song on the album uh that's a good question um Hmm. Let's see. Uh, so I remember Not Dead doing great in our 2019 Mr. Bill Gates sets. Yeah. That, uh, uh, went over swimmingly. Yeah, it, ha- it has to be that one because I made that one in 2017 in um in Ben Cantle, uh, a.k.a. Incanti, a.k.a. Zebler Incanti Experiences uh, apartment in Spain when I was doing his like when I was teaching for him in uh, at Berkeley. That was cool, man. Like just getting away from America for a bit and like being, you know, uninvested from this scene for a little while uh, was kind of sick. I got to write just, I I was just writing a bunch of this like groovy kind of shit there. I have another tune that's kind of very similar that didn't make it onto the album, but probably should have. uh, That's called Thwant. And um, it's uh, it's called Thwant because it sounds like that. It's like goes, nice. (laughs) Like has this very weird, like, rolling over itself groove um and very yeah. cool very cool um so i i yeah sorry i didn't mean to cut you off there did you have anything else to, to add no no the, the answer is that is the oldest one yeah okay cool because so that uh that brings me naturally to uh another question which was how uh you feel that your time in america has influenced your music and um, whether you write different kinds of music in America or outside your America. Yeah, yeah. The answer is yes. I do write different music in in America versus other countries. And I don't know why that is. I think it's um, just, I don't know, vibe, you know, has a lot to do with shit. I feel like you, you can just put your desk in a different place in the room and then all of a sudden you'll write a different sounding tune or whatever it's like different being in different studios makes me write different shit as well. Or just being in a different room of the house, you know, will make me write a different kind of thing. Um, so yeah, for sure. I do definitely being in a different country. That's like way bigger than just being in a different room of the house, like being in a different room of the world or whatever, um, you know, around all this different culture, especially in Spain where I like couldn't, <laughs> the culture is so different. Um, yeah, that was crazy being there, but, uh, 
<clears throat> I think also another thing that drives this is I think in America, I'm more reminded more often that music is my career and it's kind of competitive. And so that kind of, I think, uh, skews me a little bit towards wanting to make more uh, lucrative music, I guess, is, is what you'd call it. Um, cool. And, and do you feel that, that that pressure is a positive or a negative pressure or it's just different? Uh, I think it's, uh, I mean, who knows? It's kind of just, I guess it's kind of just different because like that pressure makes me write more, which means I become a better producer. Uh, like in Australia, it's like more leisurely, right? Like I was, I didn't feel as much pressure there. So I wasn't writing as much. So my, you know, I still gained a lot of years of experience there and became a good producer in Australia. But I think I've gotten like way, way better since I moved to America just because I had to, or I felt like I had to, um, <clears throat> to like you know do better in my career or whatever uh so in that in that in that way it's good but i think in uh creatively it might not be so good because uh i feel like it locks me more into a box of making this like build drop build drop sort of bass music rather than um, yeah, I remember when when we were first um, working together, you were you had a very anti-drop mentality, and I remember when we were working on Slumberless, and I suggested that we put a uh, a down tempo drop in the second half of the song. You were kind of categorically opposed to the idea of doing uh, of doing a drop, and I remember you you went to bed because we were on very different sleep schedules, <laughs> and uh, and I snuck that drop in there, and then when you came up, you were like, oh yeah yeah okay, I see what you meant now. That's uh, that's that's okay. I think that's because we made it in like what 2016 or something and at the time like <clears throat> just everyone was making like bro step or something. So like when you said drop I was like, "Oh, you just mean like mass screechy massive basses and shit." And I don't want that. Fuck that. Uh I think I just had the wrong idea of what you meant by drop probably. Well, cuz I I noticed that um, you know, uh your your music has evolved a lot uh mm. in the past four years especially and i feel like um you know you've kind of um made your your peace with with making music for others rather than just uh pursuing your own creative ends and uh i've i actually kind of feel that the the pressure to make more commercial music uh, as you put it from from being in america has actually um you know, manifested as you writing music that is more digestible for an audience and uh, especially a dance audience. Like I feel like the the dance moves that would were inspired by the kind of like virtuosity overload style of earlier Mr. Bill uh, were more of like a kind of horizontal sort of a dance move where you're like kind of swimming in this sea of glitchy kind of IDM sounds. Whereas now you've, you've been able to kind of like simplify things a bit, especially rhythmically. And you've got more of that like vertical bounce in your music. And, uh, I feel like, you know, I feel like you've, you've really kind of found a balance between your own creative needs and the needs of the audience. And I was hoping you could tell us a little bit more about how that kind of evolved. Yeah. Martin Haywire put this well, I think when I was talking to him about this one day where he was like, I'm not really an emotionally strong enough person to make music just for myself, but I'm also not like uh, so egotistical or whatever that I would just make it for, no, 
I'm not so like insecure that I would just make it for other people either. Um, I f and I feel like, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with stuff. I'm not like so self-centered and so egotistical these days. I feel like that I, that I, that I'm making music just for me. And like, yeah, I definitely want other people to listen to it. And I, I mean, that's kind of just releasing it and putting it out and like having other people enjoy it and listen to it is like just as much. It's like the other half of the process to writing it. I feel like as if you're just writing, like if you're just writing it for yourself, I mean, then you're done at the point that you do any decision, right? Because does that make sense? It's like, as soon as you do anything, it's done because you just did it and like you did it for yourself. And if it's purely for yourself, you could stop at any point and just call it finished, right? But like, if you're doing it for somebody else, then you have to like polish it all up and make it presentable and uh, serve it up in such a way that they're going to get it on like the first listen and all sorts of shit. I don't know. That's a hard thought to explain or a hard concept that I'm thinking of. I think. Yeah, I mean, it, it carried carried to the carried to the furthest extreme. Um, you know, there's not really any need to complete anything or like a completion just becomes so abstract and malleable that it's uh it doesn't really make sense as a finished product anymore i i, I get that point if it's completely for yourself yeah right like because uh and i think maybe people who just sit around doing modular stuff are kind of like that yeah like i was the, about to bring that up <clears throat> yeah the real purists like won't even record their modular things and stuff because they're just like no it's like just an in the moment thing and they also don't really release much music so Yes. Um, Never yeah. have so many used so much to say so little. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's kind of, yeah, that's a good saying. Uh, um, so let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about um, modular. Cause um, you at one point had a pretty fantastic and enviable collection of Eurorack modules. And um, I, as I look around the shot that I see in the background, I notice a pretty marked lack of, of hardware equipment. Uh, can you tell us a little yeah. bit about what brought on that shift? Yeah, man. I just wanted to like have a minimal setup. I was like, Honestly, I'm not using the module modules that much. Like I use them literally like I think fuck I used them like once in the last year or something like that. And I moved into like a pretty small apartment. Like the apartment's like 750 square feet, so I kind of needed the space. Um and at the same time I was like this is literally like 10 grand just sitting here. If I just like put in a little bit of effort to buy some boxes and some bubble wrap and post some pictures on reverb, like I can make 10 grand in like a, you know, a couple of weeks of effort, which, which I did. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It just felt like the move, just having 10 grand sitting there that I wasn't using that was just taking up space and all sorts of shit. And then I got rid of my table too, cause I was sick of that. And I got this like other table, which is like a sit stand desk. So now I can like stand and work and all sorts of shit. And I don't know, it's just more like a minimal tech setup now. And, <laughs> and then I also redid all my paneling. So it's all colorful instead of all black. And I just wanted to have this like completely different studio, like all open and vibey and just very minimal and clean. Cool. And I feel like, yeah, it's really nice. I mean, it's so my work now is completely in the box. Uh, though when I do walk into a studio with tons of toys now, I get kind of excited and want to like play with all the toys. But I also think there's so many like people who record their toys and chuck it on the internet um, that there's just no like reason anymore, I think, for me to have it just because I, I, all I would do with my one, my, my modular shit anyway 
is like record a few um, things in and then just process the fuck out of them anyway until they sound like yeah. digital things. Yeah, so that was, like, was one could... thing that I, I noticed about your style too is that that you're so heavy on the digital processing that by the time mm-hmm. you've got the result that you like it, it kind of doesn't matter what it started Yeah, it was as. like the input could have been operator too, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah so and I, like, I, I, I find when I, whenever I want something to sound analog – like I have to really exercise a lot of restraint to not um, mm-hmm. to not do that because then it's just it doesn't sound analog anymore. Yeah, Although exactly. One, one piece of gear that I have found um, is really excellent lately is the electron analog heat because it's got uh, eight kinds of analog saturation and LFOs and envelopes and MIDI and things. And uh, I've found that that's a great way to, to warm up and make something digital sound more analog. So mm. uh, I've actually found I've been, you know, the, 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 the signature sound of the analog heat is actually on more of the channels in my track than the signature sound of the Eurorack as a sound source. Electron analog heat. Mark it's two. pretty great. You can control it from a VST plugin. Oh, that's nice. Oh, this kind of looks like um is this kind of like the Erica since plasma drive or whatever like the like conceptually at least? Um well the plasma drive kind of does one thing really well. Um oh, whereas the analog heat is really flexible and you can actually you can use it for mastering and stuff. It's really great. I'm uh, I'm mm. a, a pretty much an uh evangelist. Is this, uh, is this kind of like um the culture vulture do you know about that thing yeah the, i the, i love the triode distortion of the culture vulture but um the analog heat actually has eight kinds of of different processing oh, so that you like, can use so it's like way better than the culture vulture is and and it's analog right i mean I yeah imagine. it's, so it's yeah, called it's, analog it's, <laughs> yeah it's all analog and it really um you know if you want things to sound more analog i find myself Damn. using it to to warm up digital sources bucks. a lot super worth it dude super worth oh, it okay. So I actually have an affiliate thing going on with Perfect Circuit, so I might be able to get it for less than 800 Do it. And since it. we put it in this podcast, go to perfectcircuit.com, and then maybe they'll give me a bigger discount. Yeah, do you have like perfectcircuit.com slash Podcast or something? Uh, No, but I could probably get them to make that. Dude, you should. You totally should. They'll probably totally should. should. Yeah, they, I have this uh, Universal Audio solo 610 preamp they sent me out for doing a couple of tutorials that i'm running this really nice mic through cool um, because i thought like that's something i would have like in my minimal setup is like you know a preamp do you have the culture vulture the ua culture vulture is pretty good i don't is that universal audio too yeah they have a they have a universal audio version of the culture vulture that i pretty much use like hot sauce Oh, uh, right. Uh, I don't use UAD. Uh, via, um, you should ask them nice. Just say, say pretty please with a cherry I, on top. I use, uh, I, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't be able to run the VST though because I don't have the universal audio hardware, right? Well, you can do it on the solo. It has some, uh, it has some, some UAD really? chips in it. Yep, I believe so. It's the same, same chip you're running your preamp on. Right, but I mean the, the preamp isn't an interface. It's just a box with... Chips. Yeah, but that's where the chips live. Really? There's there's chips in there. Yeah, you should be able to run some uh, some UAD Wait. plugins in there. UAD Solo six ten. That's crazy. I didn't. I had no idea. Preamp yeah. mic di. Uh, yeah, if you're running any UA plugins on your preamp, like if you're running like a six ten or whatever, that's that's running on the chips in the UA card. Yeah, I'm. I am sure? a. Yep. 
I'm a huge UA fan. I love them. Dude, this thing doesn't even have a USB input on it, though. Um, like, it literally, it just has a mic input and an output. Like, yeah, that's, that's fine. You, you don't you don't have to bust it out. You can just instantiate the plug-in in your computer, and the processing happens on your sound card. It's not a sound card. My sound card's an RME. This is a preamp only. Oh, you got the actual analog hardware preamp. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, it's wow. A, that was nice of them. Those things are not cheap. Uh, this one's not bad. Well, actually, it's, yeah, it's now I'm looking at it. It's 1100 bucks, but like, <laughs> Yeah, they're um, they're pretty spiffy. They're pretty spiffy. Wow, lucky yeah, you. Well, see, that's what I was saying. And even still, it's like I've got it cranked up all the way it can possibly go. I have it set on all the settings that Universal Audio recommends. I'm running the Shure uh, SM51B or whatever, like the Joe Rogan microphone through it into like my RME, which is like a super nice sound card. And I still like can't figure out for the life of me how to get like a nice clean level signal. And my podcast editor just like endlessly complains about it. And I'm like, dude, I've fucking, I've tried everything. I've like, I don't know what to do. It's, this is the sig, this is the signal you get. It's like thousands and thousands of dollars worth of gear. And like, I don't know. Well, I mean, a lot of it probably has to do with like proximity too. Yeah, I think I have like a quiet voice, honestly, and like maybe if I talk more directly into it or something. Yeah, see, that like, sounds way different than when you were pointing your head around. Yeah, true. Maybe I just need to like... You need to just hunch in there. Yeah, just hunch right in there. Well, that's, see, now I've got the standing <laughs> desk actually here. See, look, I can just raise it. Whoa, I, got, I feel like I'm, I'm getting in. taller watching this video. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah, I can just raise this exactly where it needs to be. Mm-hmm. There we go. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's a pretty great audio difference, actually. It sounds pretty nice. Nice. Yeah, let me look at my audacity. Oh, dude. Dude, oh, you're, you're about to lay me down by the fire with that mic proximity. Yeah, baby. Oh, in <laughs> the world. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Radio announcer shit going on right here. Cool, cool. Okay, so um, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, the creative process uh, a little bit more. Um, I find, you know, every album... I learned not just technical <clears throat> things, but I also learned things about creativity and mm. about the creative process. And I was wondering if during the creation of Phantasmagoria, you learned anything about the creative process or, um, you know, about your relationship to creativity that you'd care to share with us. Oh, dude, so much. Honestly, the thing that I learned most um, or the, the thing that I thought was the most important was uh, had to do with spectral processing. I just got way more comfortable uh, that and wave shaping. First of all, oh, that video you shared about wave shaping. That and was like, wave shaper. Oh my God. Yeah, super helpful. So I did a few tutorials that had some melder shit in it, but it was all just melder shit from the free bundle. Um, and wave shaper is number one in the free bundle. You don't get dude, the multiband, yeah. but you get it. And it's, it's the top one when you browse on their page. Yeah, it's so good. Um, I did a tutorial about M Recorder. And then I did another tutorial about, um, I want to say like, I don't know, some other Melder plugin. And then I hit him up and I was like, hey, check this out. I've done like multiple tutorials uh, featuring uh, your plugins. Would you mind sending me like the whole Melder bundle, which isn't cheap. It's like 2,500 bucks or it's something. It's so amazing though. Oh my God. It's, yeah, it's, it's the most worth it thing ever, man. They have like a spectral reverb and like a fucking spectral gate and like all sorts of spectral tools. Did, um, have you messed with M Drummer yet? I love it. Not yet. 
Oh, but. it's so good. You can make you can make uh, drum breaks with it and stuff with all these Dude. really really extensive libraries of multi sample drum kits, and it and it has this like way of like playing the MIDI where you can specify the main beats, and then all the little ghost notes and stuff will like kind of change as the the pattern iterates and stuff. Like there's some like randomness to the ghost notes and everything that just sounds super like just natural and flowing and. Yeah, I, I love M Drummer. I've been using it a lot on my um, recent drum and bass tracks, and it's been fabulous. Nice. Yeah, I should check it out. I mean, it's just so overwhelming, right? There's so much shit in there to check out. It's kind of all you need. It's like the Killer Hearts bundle too. There's just there's so much shit going on there, especially in Phase Plant. And then when you crack out like Snap Heap and Multi Pass and shit, uh, these like bundle fucking companies that just for some reason are able to crank out like a thousand plugins. Uh, like waves as well man like if you get the waves bundle that you yeah game there's so over, much man. stuff in there yeah but the melda crazy. stuff it's, it's pretty much like mostly that one coder it's kind of like fl fl studio where there's just like one main person i mean i'm sure there's like a big team as well mm. but it really seems to be um you know uh Wojtek is the, the main i believe his name's Wojtek. it's the main coder Do you know where he's from heavy lifting uh, I, I know it's somewhere in, in Europe, I think, but I don't know if he lives in America now or not, but I get, I get emails from them at European seeming times. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Uh, but yeah, their, their Melda stuff is amazing. You actually turned me on to them and I've been, I've been diving deep. Like, yeah, really cool. So, um, so what kind of spectral processing did you do on the, the album? Was it more for like effects or for mixing or? Um, it was more for layering. So like, uh, I got, um, I think the way that uh, a lot of those rhythm kids and shit are getting their stuff sounding like very bright, but not harsh, is they're getting these spectral like smears and shit and they're like layering, layering it on top of stuff. And it kind of makes it sound a little bit like a bad MP3, but if you nail it, you, it's, you're just adding this really like pristine, smeary spectral high end to everything and it like just sounds really nice and clean. And I was just, yeah, I learned a lot about that and also just like layering granular layers over everything actually a big part of the process had had to do with this kid named ellie derp who was 18 years old and just the most insane producer i've ever met probably um well uh, that was actually that question is on our list so how how did you meet ellie derp yeah that was just through discord one night i was just like hanging out on discord and um someone was just like sharing tunes around in the feedback channel and i I listened to it and I was like, this is, this is fucking crazy. I was like, wait, did you, you made this shit? And he's like, yep. And I was like, wait, can you send me some more shit? And then he sent me a bunch of shit. I was like, dude, what? Like, how are you unknown? This your shit is, this is crazy clean and like super well produced. What the fuck? And then he like, he was like, oh yeah. And I also like made this max plugin that like, you know, resynthesizes your signals in real time. And like, we had a call on discord and he just like told me all this shit. And I was like, holy fuck, man, you're like doing some crazy shit. Like he made this. Have you seen his Max for Live plugin that Reese that no. uh, it, dude it real so you know how you can resynthesize something into sine waves? Yes. It does it in real time. Like that just, is wild. Does it use your entire processor to do it? No, not really. It's like pretty lightweight. What? And he, yeah, and he made it in Max for Live and he's 18 and it's like what the fuck? Like how'd you get so smart so quick? Like <laughs> it's crazy. He's probably got this like painting in his basement that's like a 40-year-old version of him that sucks at producing. And then he's just like <laughs> 18 and killer forever. 
yeah like some inspirations just like this is what's gonna happen if you don't fucking work your ass off yeah, yeah no no, no, no it's like it's... like the picture dorian gray you ever read that that book oscar wilde the guy's got the painting no. and the painting ages and he stays young it's no awesome. that's it's a great book you should totally read it. it's like it's like a little novella and I, you'll you can huh. read it in like an afternoon it's such a great book how does this book go it's like so oscar sits there and doesn't get older but the painting yeah it's, it's called the, the picture of dorian gray and uh i just don't see how that could be written into like a whole story that's it's amazing there's like there's like old-timey opium dens and all kinds of seediness and it's just uh it's just great oscar wilde's a great writer i just don't read Mm. plays that much but that book is 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 a great book it's it's uh you could read it in an afternoon i i couldn't put it down i read it all in one go that's awesome. Yeah, let me, let me put it in my uh, self-help folder here. You could probably find a free audiobook because it was written so long ago. And they probably have some famous actor reading it. Oh, dude, sweet. Yeah, let me... Uh, I'll, fuck, where should I write this down? I need like a... Here, I'll, I'll, just, I'll just text it to you. Yeah, okay, cool. The, yeah, I'll check so it it's out. It's called The Picture of Dorian Gray. <clears throat> so I don't listen to a lot of... Um, uh yeah i don't listen to a lot of fiction usually i mostly listen to podcasts or audiobooks that are going to teach me something like for instance um right now i'm listening to gabor mate who's actually from uh you're in vancouver right uh i'm currently in chicago uh i'm staying at the elevated studio but yeah i live in vancouver yeah, yeah, yeah. So this guy's also from Vancouver. His name is Gab- uh, Gabor Mate or something. And he, he wrote this book called um, In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts, which is all about addiction. It's basically about like Vancouver's uh, Skid Row and the Portland yeah. Hotel and how he like basically just uh, has all these stories about like addicts and shit. And it's just, I mean, it gets you know, pretty like- wild in Vancouver because um, yeah, basically man, so- Canada you freeze to death if you're homeless except for in Vancouver or Victoria so all the mm-hmm. homeless people hot, hop freight trains and go to Vancouver and then you couple that with um, it being a port city and uh, tons of opiates flooding in and it's mm-hmm. uh, kind of the perfect storm yeah it's crazy there's like fucking parts of the book where he's like people will go into a methadone clinic they'll drink uh, they'll like drink their shot of methadone and then like leave the methadone clinic but not have it swallowed so it'll just be sitting in their mouth like under their tongue or whatever and then they'll spit it out into a packet and then it gets resold on the street so it's like people are injecting methadone that's like got other people's saliva in it what could go wrong yeah exactly i mean they all get hiv and they like uh, pretty much uh it's so sad yeah, but if yes. you go to East Hastings on Google Earth and you're zooming around, there, I remember, you know, I was doing it for for just for shits and giggles because, uh, you know, it's like, oh, I'll just be a voyeur and look at how awful things are. And I remember seeing like outside of one of the clinics, there's two people outside like taking their gloves off after having obviously dealt with a death. And they're just like their minds are blown and they're just like on the steps of this uh, clinic, just like coping and I was like, oh, this got not fun really fast. <laughs> Jesus it's, Christ. Yeah, it's it's pretty hardcore. But that's only one small part of Vancouver. The rest of the city is mm. lovely. Yeah, yeah. So 
yeah, that's kind of where, where I'm at with books right now. So maybe I should switch to this Oscar Wilde thing for a minute. Yeah, it's a little it's a little bit more recreational. The, the other thing is, I, the other thing I listen to, which is also pretty fucking grim, is just the Sam Harris podcast mostly, which is just him talking about world problems with like, you know, tech leaders and shit. I mean, like he's currently, to, um, the one I'm listening to right now, he's he's chatting with um Bal- Balaji, so whatever, can't, can't remember his last name, but uh, he was like the CEO of Coinbase for a while and they're chatting about all sorts of crazy shit like starting a country in the cloud that comes crashing down to earth and like all this dystopian sounding shit that does not sound too fun foreign policy and shit like that and you know how it's so fucked I find up. for doom and gloom I need a little touch of comedy so I'm a big fan of Robert Evans and the behind the bastards podcast mm. that is a gold medal podcast it's basically like a, a black comedy podcast about different crazy things that have happened in history and all the so you can learn about like the nazis and meth and uh Uh, yeah it wasn't hitler a meth addict yes and it all started because he had intestinal issues and could not stop farting and he ended up taking a bunch of like strychnine pills to uh stop his gas which obviously didn't work because you can't take strychnine for gas and then uh he had this real quack doctor who was um just injecting him with like all kinds of weird experimental animal hormones and um, amphetamines and then later opiates and stuff. And uh, apparently Hitler, um, the more he got stressed out, the more his um, flatulence would be a problem. And towards the end of it, he had he was dealing with the opiate issues in his uh, gut and they couldn't get opiates anymore. And then the stress and the fact that they were in a bunker Uh, He was just like just farting horrible, horrible farts in the bunker and all of the head Nazis like while the the Reich is crumbling, most of their journal entries are about Hitler's um, intestinal issues because they're trapped in a bunker with farting Hitler coming down off of heroin. I wonder if that's why he ended up eating the cyanide or whatever. He's just like stuck in this room or whatever with his own farts. He's like, bro, I fucking can't deal with the smell of this shit anymore. He's just like eats cyanide. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's a good podcast. I definitely highly recommend Behind the Bastards. It's a uh, it's a good Behind one. Behind the Bastards. Yeah, let me let me write that down too. Or... Yeah, it's a, it's a good time. It's a good time. Uh, and, and a little bit of uh, sugar helps the medicine go down. You know, if you're gonna go bleak, you might as well have a chuckle while you're there. Um, okay, cool. So, um, how about what, what kinds of music are you listening to these days? Is there any, are there any, uh, artists other than Ellie Derp that are, uh, inspiring you especially? Dude. So honestly, recently I haven't been listening to that much electronic music. Um, but I've been listening to a bunch of, uh, this is going to sound weird, but like mostly just Ethiopian jazz. Oh, mostly. hell yeah. That's not weird at all, dude. Ethiopia has got great music. Yeah, I've been mostly listening to this guy called Malatu Astatki, who's just fucking awesome. Um, cool. How do you like, spell that for our, uh, our listeners out there? Um, Malatu is spelt M-U-L-A-T-U, and Astatki is spelt A-S-T-A-T-K-E. Okay, cool. Yeah. And then uh, also Azimuth, A-Z-Y-M-U-T-H. They're from... I think they're actually just from maybe New York or something, but yeah, they're kind of like jazzy and interesting, like you know Bella Fleck and um, Anna Mazzotti and John Hassel and uh, Horace Andy and gotta love Meters. Horace Andy. Yeah, bad, bad, not good. I'm just looking at this playlist of shit that I've put together here. Moon. I got to play a show with the Meters <laughs> once. It was pretty awesome. Dude, sick. Yeah, so just that kind of shit, like Tom Allen, to- uh, Tony Allen, Theo Parrish, Esker, 
Oh, Theo Parrish, um, also excellent. Andrew Ashong. Uh, yeah, just a bunch of this kind of shit. And then, um, yeah, I don't know. The, the Spotify algorithm is just so damn good that it's just recommending me more and more of this kind of shit. And that's kind of what I've been listening to. Hey, have you got day, a load of that Voljum cat? Yes. V-O-L-J-U-M. Holy moly. Yeah, that Dayscape EP is pretty nuts. Wow. Yowza. Yeah, kind of like I, I'm like I have like a bittersweet relationship with it because I'm like, damn, like some of these sections are so good. But then I'm like, but he just does it once and then like it's another section. I have to like go and do some like real Well now and- now you know how we felt listening to early Mr. Bill. Oh yeah, true. <laughs> that's probably- <laughs> yeah, that's actually yeah, I get it now. Yeah, I mean there's certain sections of his where I'm like, shit, man, like you could turn like that right there is like the idea for the tune or an idea for a tune that could have been fleshed out into like a whole tune that would have been so sick. Um, but yeah, he's obviously got a lot of You ideas two should collab. This. I would be all over that if you collabed. I would be all over Yeah, that. I'd be fucking down. Actually, I should ask him if he wants to do a remix of the Phantasmagoria stuff or something. Yo, yeah. do it. Do it. Upvotes. Yeah, that that EP was truly really amazing. Also, Eli um, Ellie Derp, he just put out a new EP, which is fucking crazy too. Uh, it's called um, what's it called Azimuth. Yeah, it's really. Is it thing. spelled the same way as the Azimuth artist that you just listened, or is it a different spelling of Azimuth? It's a. Di- I think it's a di- different spelling. It's um. Let's see. Yeah, A Z I M U T H. Okay. Instead of Y, like the band, it's I, like the actual word. Because what, what is azimuth? It's like the, um, I think, the angles between stars or something, or just the angles between anything. Yeah, it's definitely some, it's definitely a, a measury science thing. Yeah, it's an angular measurement in a spherical coordinate system. So the vector from an observer to a point of interest is projected perpendicularly onto a reference plane. And so on and so so forth. So yeah, I'm looking at an image here. So it's like the there's the observer, and then there's the zenith, and then there's the star. zenith is the top. Yeah, the Not to be confused the with the nadir. The nadir is the bottom, I believe. Yep. And then the you've got the star, and then the altitude from the ground to the star, and then that point from the observer to the start of where you'd start measuring the altitude is the azimuth. Totally. That comes up all the time in my life. Yeah, all the time. Don't don't go around not knowing what that is because you're going to need to be like, uh, so you go to the azimuth of 16th and then the, and then the totally. azimuth of 4th and then take a left at the 3rd uh, and you, you'll be right there. It's a, it's a cool sounding word though. It is, yeah. Yeah, there's, there's there, yeah. Hey, what are, what are some of your favorite words? Oh, uh, shit. Um, Man, remember I had that thing on my phone for a while? Yeah, we like, were vocabbing it up on tour. I know, and you were really good at it. Like, uh, basically, the game was like, I would uh, give you these words that this uh, vocabulary, because I wanted my vocabulary to get better. Because, I mean, I, I don't know, like, sometimes you talk to some people and you're like, damn, like, you just, you have the words for things. Like, you know how to articulate shit. And it's really like, it's refreshing to hear, like, somebody express these thoughts so clearly, but also just like, annoying because i want to be able to do that um, and also i've heard that people with uh, larger vocabularies are generally like um able to process their emotions better because interesting they, because they have the words and shit to like reason better with them you know and logic their way through shit better and rationalize better uh 
so yeah um, that's why i was doing it but anyway the game was like i would get it to generate words and be like what's this word mean and like you'd have to tell me the meaning of the word and you you're pretty good at it i'm actually one of the ones that was memorable to me was uh flounce which uh you know just means somebody's like been basically a dick in the green room <laughs> like yeah around me like, lately i've been trying to work truculent into my vocabulary it's when truculent. someone is like spoiling for a fight all the time and i i actually have a uh, a truculent property manager at my place and she's the kind of person that you'd be like nice day out isn't it and she'd be like no it isn't uh it's like a belligerent <laughs> yeah it's just very oppositional just spoiling for a fight all the time but yeah truculence a real is real she also uh is she also corpulent uh she's not corpulent okay she's but, just truculent but if she ate too much and couldn't move she would be crapulous <laughs> crapulous dude yeah. there was this there was this band in australia like way back in the day at the rehearsal studio i used to rehearse at with my metal band called crapulous Gore. Whoa, now yeah. that's a name. <laughs> yeah, Gigo was spelled G-E-E-G-A-W, I think. Wow. Yeah, Crapulous Gigo. Wow, what a they, name. Let's see if they're on Spotify. I'd be so impressed if they're just fucking massive now or something. Well, uh, if they're crapulent all the time, they're probably getting quite crapulous, massive. Crapulous. Or sorry, Crapulous, oh, not Crapulous. Dude, I, no way, I found it. They have five monthly listeners. <laughs> Oh man, you got to get in there. Make it six, baby. Oh yeah, I'm gonna give them a follow for sure, dude. After this podcast, they're gonna have at least twenty monthly. At least, at least fifteen people are gonna go there from this podcast, dude. Imagine if this was the Joe Rogan podcast and he fucking brought up Crapulous Gigor. It'd be huge instantly. Yeah, yeah. That guy's gone. That guy went huge with the podcast, man. He like took it to another level. He's like the Skrillex of podcasts, dude. It's, it's like. People like that are crazy. I they just like will take something to like another level. They just like have a vision for something and they just, they see it and nobody else sees it and they just go with it and they change it and they change the game and then everyone else tries to follow them and do the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty wild how far he's taken it. He's more influential than any other media source at this point. Yeah. It's shocking. Yeah. He gets more listens than CNN and Fox News. Yeah. Which uh, I think like, you know, I hate to say it, but I think there needs to be some kind of um, some kind of, uh, you know, fact checking in the world of podcasts, because, um, you know, it used to be, you know, like, cause for example, like if they, like, I, I remember checking out this, um, this quote from Dr. Fauci, where he was like, yeah, if the, if, if the internet was around when the polio vaccine would came out, everybody would have polio. Like there's no... Mm. There's no way to do it. But I was actually, I was learning about ivermectin and apparently the main reason why the meta uh, analysis, because normally it's like when, okay, so science, like when you have a bunch of small studies. So the, iver can, the ivermectin thing before we go any further is total bullshit. Yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, basically like how science works, you have a small study yeah. that's, that will show a result, but you can't really, you know, until that's been peer reviewed. Um, yeah. it's, 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 you know, it's, it, it exists, but you, you have to, you publish it and it gets peer reviewed and everything. And then that can show that, Hey, you know, this is, this is one, this can show that this is promising and worthy of more study. And then you get bigger funding for bigger studies, et cetera. But no one's really says anything with any certainty until you have like a large body of studies and, uh, you do like a meta analysis and apparently the ivermectin thing 
uh, the doctors who had recommended it first, they, they were the, the same ones who had s suggested that corticosteroids worked for uh, – uh, and nobody thought that the corticosteroids were going to work on COVID. And these guys suggested that despite the common wisdom and they were right. So then right. they later said, hey, you know, we were throwing everything at it and ivermectin seems to work. Maybe it's worthy of more study. So some of these small studies got done and then there was a really big study out of Egypt that had like 300 people in it and that got put into the meta-analysis. And typically, you know, like when you do a meta-analysis, um, you know, you have to analyze like a lot of studies and that's generally considered to be more statistically valid than the results that you get from like a small study, right? Mm -hmm. um, but if you have a meta-analysis with a bunch of small studies and one really big study, often the really big study can sway the results of the meta-analysis and then the meta-analysis can become questionable. Become, apparently, yeah, yeah. there was this big study that was done in Egypt that got included in the meta-analysis before it was peer-reviewed. And upon further examination, it seems like a lot of the data is just made up. For example, many of the test subjects were dead before the date <laughs> that they were in the study. Right. So when the, that study was peer reviewed, it was pulled out of the meta-analysis. And when that's pulled out, um, the statistical effects that were being quoted by, by the people who were recommending ivermectin are largely disappear. It still may be true that with further study it does show promise but but you can't say with any certainty yet you right. know more yeah, studies totally. may show but literally two days after that meta-analysis came out they had an emergency episode of the joe rogan podcast where they had doctors on telling everybody like this is a meta-analysis this is very statistically valid this is definitely true the pharmaceutical companies don't want you to know this because ivermectin is cheap and readily available and blah blah, blah. and it just got blown up and now you have people that are taking it like thinking that that is is a replacement for getting vaccinated. And Ridiculous. that episode of that podcast has probably resulted in hundreds of deaths, at least at this point. That's, yeah, that's a good point. So, yeah, and, and likewise, on the other hand, we have these uh, studies of the vaccine, like the Israeli study, which contains uh, 1.2 million people, uh, which are like totally peer reviewed and totally showed that the vaccine works. And you have all these people going like, I'm not getting the vaccine. That's bullshit. Especially in like the fucking electronic music scene, dude. I've been doing shows again. Oh, yeah. And, Tons like, of people. It's crazy. I'm like, did you get vaccinated? They're like, no way. Why would I do that? It's like, dude, get the fuck away from me. Like, do not come within six feet of me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've been masking up. I made it through all the the reddest um, states without incident, um, which was I, I was I must admit I was a little nervous going into like Florida and Georgia and stuff. And I, I called the clubs pretending to be an anti-vaxxer. And I was like, are you telling me that some DJ from out of town can come here and tell me I got to show a passport and say what's up my body? And, 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 you know, and many of the venues were like, hell no, this is Georgia, son. And I was like, oh, that green room's not going to be secure. <laughs> so holy shit, masked sound check and then hang out at the hotel. It is. Yep. Yeah. But Damn, uh, that's a good, that's a good little, uh, trick. <laughs> yeah, COVID tour hack, baby. Yeah, I got to do yeah, a little so, bit of an accent and stuff, practice my voice acting skills. <laughs> I used to be an actor when I was a kid. So. Dude, that's, that's, ah, man, I should do that. So instead, what I've done, because um, I'm like, I still class myself as being in alcohol recovery. Um, yeah. I put totally, a sobriety, me too. yeah, I put a sobriety clause on my writer. And uh, basically, that says no doing drugs and no alcohol or drunk people or high people or anyone under the influence can be in the green room. As soon oh, as that put, probably doubles as a COVID thing then. 
Exactly. Yeah. As soon as you put, <laughs> uh, as as soon as you put that on your rider and you say like I'm in recovery, like this is serious. Like I need to have no alcohol around me. I need to have no drugs around me. I need to like this is a serious clause that you have to abide by for me to even consider doing the show. As soon as you do that, the green room's empty and you can just chill in there. It's great, dude. I gotta start doing that. Yeah, put a sobriety clause on. Trust me, no one comes in the green room. They're like, "What? You telling me I can't have a drink in there?" You're like, "Nope." Yeah, it's, it's like no fun. Yeah, and then they're like, "Well, I'm just gonna go drink elsewhere, I guess, and do my drugs yeah. elsewhere." Yeah, but uh, they're like, but are yeah, you I, telling me I, the the worst one? I was talking to Feed Me about this today. Actually, is when like everyone in the green room is on cocaine, and ooh, everyone yeah. has to like yell their opinions at each other. So the that reminds noise me of level. another story that's similar, but about me and better. Exactly. Yeah. And then the ambient noise level of the room gets to like 90 dB and you're like, holy shit, this is too much. Fuck off. Let's debate about politics. No, I want to talk about my dead relatives. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. <laughs> They're like, man, you last week. <laughs> yeah, it's bullshit. Whew, so, yeah. so yeah, yeah sober clause in the green room solves that problem too. Yeah. I might have to add that. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been trying to, trying to be pretty good and it's, it's really helped. It's yeah. Really you, ha helped. you have to enforce it though. You have to really drill it in and be like the only like i'm in recovery the only reason i'm going to meetings and shit like this is serious i can't do the show like otherwise and um and I, I, yeah it's good i mean it's nice having a room full of, with no drunk crazy fucking high people in there it's really nice having and you, you can just sit in there i also asked for like a, a lego on my ride now so i just sit in the yo green room. that's dope yeah so i just do lego sets in the green room and drink kombucha yeah. <laughs> and coffee and shit and like just you know it's very relaxing and nice and also a chess board or i just play chess you know chess on my phone or something yeah you're pretty yeah. good at it i i i got crushed when we were, when we were going at it yeah i got, got horribly crushed yeah i mean um, that kind of shit in the green room like the other day i was doing lego before my kill bill set and um i was only in the green room an hour before my set and it felt like five minutes went by and they were like you're on stage in five minutes and i got kind of angry i was like fuck i don't like i want to finish this fucking lego set i don't want to like now i'm invested in this project i don't, I don't want to go on stage <laughs> and you just show up on stage like look at my legos guys i'm just gonna well, play ambient music while i finish it okay i was like i'm so close like <laughs> i ended up taking it home and finishing it do you want to see it yeah totally yeah. i totally right, want to see your yeah, legos I'll grab it. bust them huh. out yeah. <laughs> oh, this is awesome. I didn't think I was going to see Legos today. Dude, Bill's full of surprises. This is fantastic. I wonder what it's going to be. Do you think it'll be X-rated Legos? Oh, my God, right, dude. You're go. boss of the robots now. Headphones back on again. Yeah, man. So, like, this weekend, the promoter got me this, like, 400-piece Batman Lego set. What? And, like, yeah, I built this shit, like, in the green room. Or most of, well, actually, I built, like, half of it in the green room, and then I brought it home and finished it. But It's pretty yeah, sweet. Dude, well, the bottom just, like, caved in a bit. But, yeah, it's so sick. It's, like, such a great way to keep yourself entertained if you're, you know, trying to keep yourself busy and don't want to, yeah, anyway. Put it on your rider. You know, cost, yeah. the, cost the promoter 50 bucks instead of fucking spending it on veggie trays, spend it on a Lego set. Sweet. Sweet. Cool, man. That's uh, that's awesome. Can, how are you at the bat voice? Can you do a good bat voice for us? No, I don't. The bat voice is like just really croaky, right? He talks like this because he's had enough of crime. Yeah, I guess I, guess I could probably talk like that. It's like, uh, I watch it. 
<laughs> I watched a video on YouTube once um, of how the Bat voice came together and it's uh, this guy doing like a bunch of different voices and then eventually he loses his voice and he's like, oh, that's perfect. Yeah, like, let's do that one. And he's like, oh, I just like lost my voice. <laughs> yeah, it was like a comedy sketch kind of thing. It's pretty funny. Word. Word. Um, okay, cool. So uh, let's uh, let's talk about uh, music a bit more. Um, I uh, would love to know what it was like working with Soro. Oh, dude. <clears throat> um, on, honestly, um, it's kind of hard to get in touch with. Same as Scope. I feel like people in the UK, man, they're just they're on the this really introverted level. Like Tipper is also this way, um, but they just they stick to their own little fucking. Thing. they just do their work and they do really fucking amazing work and every now and then you'll get lucky enough to get a response from them via email or something and they'll they'll send back parts <laughs> so essentially it was one of those kind of clubs where like i sent parts to him and then you know like four months later he's like oh yeah like i actually i did do a little bit to this and then sent stems back and it's like the sickest drop ever yeah <laughs> awesome <laughs> Um, yeah, dude, I, the UK people are just fucking on another level. I, I have a theory about that. Yeah, it's it that studio the, weather. Yeah, it's it's just always gray. It's nice to be inside. Yeah, you don't want to go out, so you don't answer the phone because people will try and drag you out of your house, and then you have to go out in the rain. Yeah, it's always like drizzly and shit. Same as Melbourne, you know, really good music, electronic music scene there too. Is Van Vancouver this way too? Is there a lot yeah, of Vancouver music? is like that. Like just ridiculously talented people. None of them leave the house. Or yeah, I know. Phones. I know Haywire was there for a while. Who else is there? Oh, there's there's all kinds of people like the Lighter Crew guys, and I mean in the whole surrounding area because Victoria's got a lot of people too. A lot of the artists have moved to Victoria because of the uh, real estate housing crisis in Vancouver. So a lot of them will live like uh, you know in Burnaby or Squamish or across in Victoria. But the the Funk Hunters are over there, and um, you know, but that's uh, like essentially considered like and Greasus. If you're talking to somebody who like didn't know the area, they're in the area, yeah. And then pigeonhole, of course, they're they're really killing it. Um, but yeah, there's all kinds. Of, Slink not is the alien. There. Slink, yeah, it's a great it's a great little scene, man. Oh, dude, and how Kermode. is Matt the alien? I heard Matt the alien had an accident on yeah. a mountain bike. Yeah, he had a terrible mountain biking accident, is and he... Uh, he lost a lot of the use of his hands, which is really oh, unfortunate sucks. for a turntablist. But, but he but... can still DJ. And he can oh, still produce. He's just, cool. um, he's, you know, it's, he's not like his, his, like for someone who is that good at turntablism, it's a real tragedy. Like he was one of arguably the best in the world. Like I, you know, I've definitely seen him do some routines and stuff that I'm like, who's better? Like, I can't think of anyone better. So, um, yeah, but, uh, one really great thing though, is that because it happened right, like, like lockdown happened and he actually recorded a bunch of video sets where he's doing like video DJing and turntablism and live streaming. Uh, he recorded like a whole bunch of them in his studio before the accident happened. So, you know, it used to be, you'd, you'd largely just catch him live or you'd get like an audio mix and you could tell it was insane, but like you know, these video mixes, you can actually see him d- doing what he does. And it's like, it's shocking Damn. how skilled the guy is. But he, it's, I think it's like, you know, silver lining is that he's producing a lot more because he is also an excellent producer. Um, and um, yeah, it was really cool to see the community come out and support him after the accident too. There was like just the biggest outpouring of support because he's just touched so many people's lives in such a positive way and he's just always been like the sweetest guy ever and 
you know, I've never heard anyone say anything negative about him. And I've known him for like two decades almost. He's a really Damn. special human being. Did he talk about anywhere publicly about how the accident happened? Because I don't know, I'm super into mountain biking. I'd be curious. As yeah, to like I, what, I, what happened. yeah, I, I don't know the full full details, but uh, I don't think he. I think it was like on a half pipe, just doing a trick that he had done lots of times, and it was just like a freak accident. Yeah, it wasn't even like that crazy a thing. Yeah, I mean that's the thing, man. You can just fall like mountain biking is fucking super dangerous. I go mountain biking a lot with um with this dude. And yeah, recently he had to take like four months off or whatever because he just broke his arm because he just like, you know, he didn't, again, it wasn't that crazy of a thing. It was like a four foot drop and he just like dropped, rolled off over the front of the bars and just like landed on his arm, broke it. And yeah, four months in a cast. <laughs> yeah. It's, Rip, yeah it's, Rip Kenny had a bad one too, um, uh, like over the pandemic. I think it was in like September or something last year. And he broke a whole bunch of of bones, but man, he's he's Fuck. back and also mountain ever. biking. Yeah, mountain biking. Yeah, he's a big outdoors. Like he does snowmobiling, mountain biking, like all of it. But he's he's back out there doing it again. He's a warrior, man. It's an addictive sport, man. Like I, even though I know the dangers of it, I still am like super into it. And I don't know. It's just yeah, it's one of those things. I I've had a few pretty bad accidents too. Like I've had a few where my rib like i thought i broke a rib but i think i just bruised a rib but basically my rib was sore for about like six weeks um oh. and then i and then i did it on the other side and my well, other rib was sore. Out. yeah exactly so my other rib was sore for about six weeks and then i've um had accidents where i've like you know banged my shoulders in and then my, like i couldn't like raise my arm for Ooh. like you know four or five weeks and like i've done a bunch of shit like that but that's like considered like minor injuries i guess in the mountain biking world where you like yeah you're like, oh, fuck, like I could barely like move it. But then like it just kind of heals itself and it seems fine now. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. And you didn't get impaled because getting get impaled in... is definitely a risk with mountain Yeah. Biking. It's funny, man. When you're out there on the trails, like, you know, four, five, six miles into the bush or whatever, you'll see these like signs on these trees, like these placards that are made out of aluminium. And it'll be like, you know, uh, let's say, for instance, like uh, John Doe versus tree uh tree wins by tko <laughs> oh yeah there's a bunch of those like out yeah of you gotta gotta watch it up there well stay safe out there bill we need your yeah, we need yeah. your brain we need your brain intact yeah i'm i'm not trying to die i try i definitely don't don't take on too many i think i don't take on too many risks i try to keep it um I try to make sure I'm not, I mean, I guess everyone's like not trying to have an accident on a mountain bike. Right. But some people do, I think take, you wear helmets and stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. Pads and okay. everything. Cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm like fully padded up and like, so, so I do all that shit. And then also the other thing I think is like a lot of people will like just see something and they'll be like, I don't feel fully confident about that, but I'm going to send it anyway. Cause fuck it, like send it. Um, and I don't do that shit. Like if I'm not confident about something that I can't, if I'm not confident I can do something, I just won't try it. Or yeah, like if I'm not like 90% sure or whatever, I like won't try it. So is it is it true that you're part kangaroo? And is that why your beats are so bouncy or is that an urban legend? Uh, well, I've eaten kangaroo meat on more than 10 occasions. So I was part kangaroo on 10 occasions. Okay, um, cool. But- that was another uh, That was another question from the fans yeah burning burning question i think they the kangaroo meat is it's probably out of me by now probably i hope kangaroo's it's pretty tasty 
It is, tasty. dude. It's, it's like people say it tastes gamey, which I don't even know. That probably means different things to different people. But honestly, I think it's pretty tender if you cook it right and you can like you know, make nice stews out of it. Yeah, Matt like Bonner stewed some kangaroo for me when I was in Oz before. It was, it was yeah, fabulous. Dude. Really good. It is. It's really yeah, it's tasty. It's good stuff. Really good. Oh, good, okay, cool. Good tucker, as they say in Australia. Oh, tucker. Yeah, Canadians are, are tucking into things too. They oh, they I, I said that word. I said, oh, I can't wait to tuck in to dinner. And I, I like some of my American friends were like, what did what? you say? You're going to what <laughs> into <laughs> they, dinner? Yeah. They're like, well, if it's going to be that kind of party, I'm going to stick my dick in the mashed potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I was tucking. I wanted to tuck into dinner. Yeah. Um, Okay, cool. So, um, uh, do you have a favorite track on the album? And if so, why is it your favorite? Uh, it's a good question. Also, um, I think my favorite track kind of changes a bunch, but I think the one that's probably been most consistently my favorite has mm, probably, I don't know. I have like favorite sections, I would say. I think like the middle section of the album is my favorite. Like it goes, uh, slap divism, loaf boy, pastel, twenty twenty. Uh, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with bad. you on that. Yeah, that's, I think like tracks good. tracks seven through ten is that's like my favorite. I think See, that's most the, most people do the opposite thing where they try and make a shit sandwich where like the beginning and the end are the best, and then they put mm. all the crappy ones in the middle. But you've opted yeah, for the opposite. Well, well, I just did it in the way that I thought it like flowed best, you know, like both uh, harmonically and vibe-wise and tempo-wise. So I was like, you know, Useless and Nasty goes well into Slaptivism because Useless and Nasty is 145, Slaptivism is 150, Loaf Boy is like 168 or some shit. And like, uh, I think, yeah, and then before that is Pasta Master, which is 140. Uh, before that's Too Complicated, which is 137. Before that's Pleasure Seeker, which I think is one. 36 and then golden gate is you know and it's, it really just goes up in tempo is kind of the yeah, way it, it flows it. it flows nice it really works um yeah. okay so a, a lot of people um have been asking about the the vocals on the album like um you know because there's a lot of vocals that don't necessarily have a vocal credit attached to them um yeah and there there people were asking like you know uh, who are these vocalists where do you source these vocals um and you know just what's your what's your approach to finding these vocals and using them man honestly um i just like find them like however i can just on the internet just search uh this is illegal by the way and i'm definitely shooting first and asking questions later and i expect someone to contact me one day about something um but it hasn't happened yet uh and i think in general i usually fuck it up enough that you can't tell what it is or uh something like that and one of the vocals like uh, actually the vocal on um i think it's loaf boy yeah that was of, the one that the question was about specifically dude that's literally just a splice sample like I just, okay yeah it's like just like one so of those you're not telling parts. us where any of the bodies are buried don't tell us where the bodies are buried bill I'm not telling you where we the bodies don't want are buried. yeah okay. there's, there's there's bodies buried but um and this is the case for all my albums, really, and all really all my songs. Um, but like, yeah, Loaf Boy, the the vocals at the end there. It's uh, I could probably just open the project folder and just tell you what it, what the sample is called really quickly. Um, let me see here, project files for Phantasmagoria. Oh yeah, the project for this one is still called something else. It's called EDM Production Challenge. 
Yeah, I got a lot of really silly working titles on my tracks too. And like, I'll be like in a hurry to find stems for someone and you like can't find the project folder because you're like, uh, I'll yeah. just call this one Steve, you know, or like something really dumb. Yeah, is this? Yeah, that's what it's called. Um, So if you want to find it on Splice, type in A-U-C-R-T underscore my way underscore vocal underscore loop underscore 95 underscore d mine underscore zero two underscore dry dot wave and you'll find it on splice wow. you could probably just you, you could probably just stop after searching a-u-c-r-t underscore my way that was a very exact answer i'm sure that the fan who asked that question is going to be <laughs> really stoked that was yeah they're, they're gonna precise. go to splice yeah they'll go to splice they'll be like that's it that's the exact one done uh, awesome now, yeah. now they can be Mr. Bill. So I would never usually do that, right? Because like you want to feel, you you want to like dig for your sample and you want to like feel legit and have feel like you've got some, you know, good ownership over the sample because you did the due diligence to find it or whatever. Um, but sometimes you just throw something in from Splice and I, I espouse this idea all the time. If it fucking works, it works, right? And I think that one, it just worked. And I was like, man, it just, it just fucking works so well. I can't not do it, even though it's like s such a thing against my ethos of production where I want to be like super legit. It also lines up with this other ethos I have. So I'm going to go with it. Yeah, I, I think I was, I remember I was sending you some of the mix downs for my album and I think you were like, yep, sometimes, man, it's just terror snare number one. You know, yeah, sometimes <laughs> that's the solution, Dylan. Yeah. And, uh, and I was like, okay. All right. Well, well it is true, man. I mean, sometimes you just got to put that ownership shit aside and just do what's best for the tune. And that took me a long time to learn. But I think, oh, yeah, I've, takes everyone think, a long time to learn that. Yeah. I mean, I think I'm still learning it. You know, like I still have that problem a lot where I'm like, A, I don't feel like I own this tune enough because I didn't put in enough work or something. Or B, I didn't like dig hard enough for it. I'll put, you know, or I didn't feel like and I did enough for that sound to, to exist so I don't have the right to use it or something like that. But it's like, whatever, I used it in a way that no one's ever used it before and there's still fans questioning where it comes from. It's not like fucking someone, like there'll be a few producers probably who hear it and be like, oh, I've got that sample too on Splice or something. But Yeah, like but are they buying concert tickets? Yeah, exactly. It's like, maybe. You know? I mean, I hope so. I hope that one sample use doesn't... You know, uh, discuss them so much that they wouldn't buy a concert. Yeah, tour. man, it's really funny on the this tour. Um, you know, I've been playing a lot of different unreleased tracks, and one of the beats I had a student, and I was like, "Look, all you really need to make a track is one really good riff, and a turnaround sample, and a drop." So I'm just gonna grab the first riff that comes up. I'm gonna grab the first turnaround sample that comes up, and then I'm gonna make a drop. And I made this track in 20 minutes. That kills live like way harder than lots of the tracks that i spent like a hundred hours on you know and that's just how it is sometimes you know you yeah i actually have a tune like this too the hardest tune in my set is um a collab with dirt monkey that we made on twitch in one hour we did like a one hour stream challenge thing and it hits so fucking hard uh for and the mix down sounds like way better than shit that's like gone to mastering engineers and shit for some reason and it's like way louder too somehow. Like I don't understand how we, we just like managed to. Well, sometimes it. when there's like way less sounds, you can get it all really loud like that. Um, I often as a mix reference use music to go fuck yourself to by Moody Good. And that the whole composition of it, it's like one sound at a time. But it's like that is I think the loudest record I've ever found. 
Oh no, there's louder now for sure. Um, yeah, I think like some Ula style stuff is probably a little louder now. And there's definitely, yeah, I've definitely found louder. I can't remember what it is, but there's producers out there pushing it uh, like up to zero luffs and stuff, especially um, in the like, uh, like little 18 year old kid sort of like SoundCloud scene, you know, because they're trying to like emulate this meme sort of over the top distortion like vine tiktok video type shit so they like over distort their 808s and make everything intentionally sound like fucking crazy over the top and some of that shit is so loud it's like but it also kind of sounds bad in my opinion yeah some of it some of it does some of it sounds pretty good like there's a guy who does this really well called bandoom actually how do you spell that b-a-n-d-o-u-m bandoom huh yeah i'll check it out yeah i've been been making a lot of drum and bass lately and um you know uh getting tracks up past like you know you know up to like minus two and stuff without distortion is like pretty That's challenging well it's yeah. not like there's no distortion uh at that point there's always going to be distortion the what you have to manage is how much you can hear the distortion via auditory masking right yeah so you just have to like have enough noisy shit in there like top layers like hi-hats and like lots of noise on your snare and just like a lot of noise to essentially mask the distortion that's happening and this is also the concept behind dithering and mastering it's like a, a low level amount of noise to mask quantization distortion uh which is just a symptom of rendering the thing into 16-bit waves um, yeah you've actually made a very handy reference video about this i believe yeah exactly so it's the same concept with getting shit loud i think in like dubstep it's it, you just like layering fuckloads of noise and crap on everything so you can't notice the distortion but it's definitely there yeah yeah like if you take a clean 808 and an open hat and you push them through a limiter together you get terrible intermodulation distortion but if you distort that same 808 and push it through a limiter with an open hat it yeah, sounds sounds, sounds fine right if you run everything into like clippers and shit before it hits a limiter it's like it actually in some weird way sounds like more dynamic and less distorted but like really what you're doing is like cutting tops off everything it's like pure clipping yeah i had to i had to learn that uh that clipping is often cleaner than limiting and that was i I was very resistant to this concept at first because it flew in the face of everything that you read and everything that you're told but uh, yeah man clipping is sometimes cleaner it's yeah i mean um I got a little gold nugget from Ellie Derp, which is a camel crusher. You just chuck that on your master and uh, just clear the preset, like right-click where it says, I think the default preset is something like four eight-bar comb phaser or something like that. Just click that and hit clear preset so it's like init. And it's the cleanest clipper ever. You can push Really? Better than G-clip? Way better. Also, there's another wow. one. Wow. There's another one that Tipper told me about that I also downloaded the other day. That's incredibly transparent, called Casrog uh, K Clip. And I've been okay, using yeah, that I heard well. people going on about that one on Reddit. Yeah, so I I got that one on uh, uh, Tipper's advice and uh, had a had a little go of it, and I was like, man, I honestly think Camel Crusher wins. Still, I mean, I haven't done haven't done the tests or whatever. Doesn't but... run on my system anymore. I'm 64 bit, so uh, well, get K Clip. It's pretty good. Okay, cool. I'll definitely get it. Okay, well, that brings me, um, uh, you know, to some of the more technical questions. Um, so one that many people asked were, did you find any interesting new plugins while working on this record? Oh, tons. Yeah. I mean, like I already said, the Melda stuff for sure. 
uh let's see i'll just go through my, my plugins folder uh all the bless stuff b-l-e-a-s-s um is really cool all the yum audio stuff is sick oh dude there's this fucking amazing plugin called moodle by tritic which is like moodle. a yeah moodle it's like this really crazy uh like multi-band resonator thing uh it's basically like resonator like ableton's resonator but on steroids cool um what else peel peel's pretty cool it's like a this crazy stereo spectral eq kind of thing uh oh, I, I used pigments a bunch because pigments two or whatever or pigments three or whatever it was came out like at the yeah it's rad i love it yeah the update there i found really inspiring dude um, a lot of the the new arturia stuff is getting so good man i know dude pigments is so crazy and then there was like a bunch of shit that like I'd heard a lot about, but I hadn't ever bothered to download or use that I finally downloaded and, and finally using that I love. Like uh, Portal is one. Um, yeah, I still one. haven't tried that, but I, I love output very dearly. Dude, yeah. sometimes I'll like put something off like that, right? Like I did it with Sausage Fatner for a long time because I was like, it's kind of like everyone's talking about it and, or whatever. It's kind of a meme or You're whatever. Like, Everything popular is wrong. Yeah, I yeah, do yeah, things yeah. the fancy way for I am a fancy producer. I don't need that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But then like two years or three years later, I'm like hella late to the game. I like, yep. end up downloading Overcome it. the resistance of taking the easy route. Right. You and know? I'm like, Where- oh, this is actually amazing. Another one that um, that I, I did that for as well is called, um, uh, you probably heard of it, Valhalla Shimmer. Oh, yeah. Uh, classic. But- yeah, for the longest time, I was like, oh, I have Valhalla Room, and I think Valhalla Shimmer is the same thing. And then I was working with nope. Kill, Kill Smith, and I was like, no, this this is completely different, and I definitely have use for this. <laughs> yeah, the new Ableton Hybrid Reverb has a, a Valhalla and its Shimmer-inspired algorithm mm. that is actually quite nice. I'm all about the Hybrid Reverb. That's, yeah, uh, yeah. that's pretty great. And I love that you can use the pre-delay as a delay. Like if you turn up the feedback and then set your pre-delay to a synced interval, you can actually use it as a reverb that's also a delay. It's really mm. cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, true. Also Rift, that other one. That, oh, um, hell yeah. So Jake, the same guy who made uh, Portal, uh, is the guy who made Rift as well. Um, oh, I didn't know that. Right. I, yeah, he, he was like the main coder at Output for a while, I guess. Um, this is Jake Mamukshu, dude. He's like a producer in our scene even. Uh, oh, cool. Yeah, he's like crazy. And he's just be- yeah, become a really talented plugin developer. Yeah, I love I love Rift. And like the way the macro has those like Saturn ring style macros and stuff. And you can do the positive portion of the waveform separate than the negative. It's just super, super cool. Hmm. Yeah, I really, uh, I really dig that one. Okay, cool. So, um, were there any um, tracks that kind of grew out of sound design or production techniques? And are there any kind of production techniques that were, um, you know, like a common motif across the tracks? Uh, so that's a good question as well. Um, <clears throat> lots of good questions. Um, ah, oh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, so. I guess Loaf Boy was like an EDM P subreddit production challenge thing. So that came out of people submitting samples, I think, or it came out of, no, it was like a two hour stream challenge thing. So no, I guess that wasn't really a, a trick so much as a creative limitation. Um, hmm. I 
Yeah, not really. I think all the songs kind of just were written how I write songs. None of them were necessarily born from a production trick. Actually, that's not true. Sad Pro, the first track, kind of was born from a, from a production trick. But uh, really what happened was I was um, living with uh, Chris Hector and he just left a Pro 3 in the house and I was just fucking with the Pro. Oh, they're Pro so 3. they're so good. I love those things. It was, yeah, it was sick. I mean, I, that, that Sad Pro tune is literally just a patch I made on the Pro 3. And that's why it's called sad pro. It's not because it's not about like a, a yeah. It's not a, it's not about like a pro being sad. It's like just uh, you heard it but, over. You heard it here first, kids. Yeah. I see. I thought I thought it was um you know a nod to crying over pros. No, but that's also yeah. I didn't even think of that. That um, was my theory. Huh. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. No. It's just uh, it sounded sad, and it was made with the pro three. <laughs> <laughs> it's always simpler than you think, people. It's always simpler than you think. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. So, um, uh, another question that, that is from our listeners that they would like me to ask is how do you know which projects to power through on and finish and which ones to leave in the whip pile? Well, just the ones that you like the most, the ones you find the most inspiring, right? Cause like why work on something if, it, if, if you're not, but do, do you assess that in the moment? Do you ever like, you know, take them into the car and check or anything like that? Or like uh, to get, to get more pers- valid perspective? No, but I have my projects folded up by genre. So, um, I work out of Dropbox and I have just a lot of different folders in my project file, uh, folder. So I have like, um, uh, four force, uh, a folder called four, four another folder called cinematic, another folder called DMB, and then dubstep, EDM, funk, halftime, hip hop, IDM, metal, uh, musical, whatever that means, psytrance, uh, random sound design, UK vibes, and then uh, misc, like unorganized miscellaneous. Um, So I'll like open that and just be like, what what, what do I feel like working on? Like something funky or something IDM-y or something dubstep-y or EDM-y or like, drum and bass or do you um i I was gonna say another thing i do is i also like at the end of every session uh put a render in the folder so i don't have to like open up all of my projects i was just about to ask about that do you have one for each saves like because i've learned recently that it's actually quite valuable to keep your older renders and not just Ah. keep saving over the same one yeah totally i do that as well and yeah, I'll just sort of like click through shit and listen to ideas. And then I'm like, oh, fuck, that's actually sick. And then I like, yeah, open that up and we'll start working on it. Because yeah, it's easy uh, and way faster to do that, obviously, than to open a million different project files in Ableton, which takes a long time. Um, so yeah, it's, it's nice to like just have a cool little catalog of whips that you can kind of just like click click through and be like, oh, that's, actually, that's fucking sick. Why did I not work on that more or whatever? And that's kind of, yeah, how I how I figure out what to work on. Okay, cool. So um, there were some other, uh, uh, like a multitude actually of questions where uh, where that people had really noticed the kind of ASMR, stereo, binaural, textural kind of dimension that uh, this record is. I mean, all of your music has it, but this record seems to be uh, it, it's especially prominent. And there were many people asking about, you know, the ASMR style sound design and uh, the use of of stereo on the record uh and what you can tell us about that yeah so the asmr shit is mostly mostly granular layering and that was a trick that ellie derp showed me he's like yeah you just create these like sort of granular and weird layers and he has a video about this on his patreon um and then you just like layer it over stuff and i was because i he made this song 
um, which well, we made this song together, but he did this thing in the intro where I was like, holy shit, that's like the craziest patch. Like, how did you make that? And he's like, oh, it's just two sounds. Like it's like one, pa- one patch doing some simple chords thing and then like another patch that's just like this granular layer. And I was like, oh, wow. Like my brain was tricked into thinking it was like all in the one patch. And it was like just very, very clever layering. Um, so a lot of the stereo shit is just like that. There's like one layer that's like granular and just extremely stereo. And then just another thing that's extremely simple and like just doing a normal bass thing or whatever. Uh, but your brain gets tricked and it goes like, oh, wow, there's like some crazy stereo thing going on. But it's like really just a, a sound that's really stereo. <laughs> just lay it over the top of everything. Cool. Cool. Yeah, that was uh, that was definitely a lot of people really wanted to know that. OK, cool. So um, and, that actually brings me. To, oh, do, do you have something to add? Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to talk about you're probably going to ask me about the, the knock, right? The binaural knock. Yes, there was. Uh, yeah, what inspired the door knocks and screening part two was a, a question. Yeah, so, someone sent that knock um, through Discord uh, one night when I was just like hanging out on Discord. And um, I was just like, holy shit, that sounds like there's, I'm wearing headphones and like I legitimately thought that there was a like a knock at my door. I was like, oh, it'd be a cool concept like on an album where there's like this very soft, like, you know, sort of vibey tune that you're just like kind of not paying attention to just vibe and it's just a vibey beat and then it like filters out and then there's this just incredibly fucking realistic sounding knock i was like it'd just be fun to like troll people and like dogs during, um, will hate it yeah dude yeah it seems like everyone has is getting trolled by it like there's a stream online of some guy who reviews albums called cubic and it's so funny he's like reviewing my album he's just listening to it and he's like holy shit someone at my door <laughs> and he like Amazing. gets up and runs through the door. and also um the other uh big payoff i got from this was during the listening party uh that we did on youtube which was kind of like the launch of the album three hours before it dropped on all the distros i did like a i remember a this long, like phantasmagoria continuous mix yeah and i did the listening party on youtube and uh just before the last tune screening part two i was like oh you're gonna want to want to put on headphones for this one because it has just like some cool uh stereo things that work really well in headphones and everyone like put put on headphones and then like at the knock bit there was just like mad comments people being like fuck that got me so good (laughs) that's awesome yeah it's it's good it it fucking gets everyone even it even gets me and i made it it's like such a realistic sound example and i I didn't make it but like i again it's like i didn't make it but i found it and i used it in a way that no one's used it so and I mean, you know, it's about and the it listener's really experience, well. and you know, yeah, it's, like yeah, it's, a lot of the people who <laughs> listen to this track might not even know it's a Mr. Bill track the first time they hear it. It just comes up on the algorithm and they're like, yo, yeah, what dude. the fuck is that? <laughs> dude, I can't like, yeah, that's going to be so funny if there's just like a bunch of random people getting recommended this shit on Spotify late at night wearing headphones getting fucking trolled. Dude, I, um, you, you know, like you can only have one person in a household logged into Spotify at the same time. I did uh, not know that. So, okay. So the Spotify can only play in one place. So I have the Spotify app on my phone and my wife will be listening to Spotify in the living room. And when I'm on the roll road, I just fucking Rick roll her ass like all the time. <laughs> controlling the Spotify. It's so fun. Yeah. It's a good time. If you have, if you share Spotify with your significant other, you should Rick roll them. It's yeah, totally I don't. Right I have my, we have our own Spotify accounts. Um, though I think we're maybe part of like a family deal where we get a discount or something, but they're like still separate accounts. They're so. probably afraid of her, dude. They're just yeah, like, don't, probably. don't hack us. Here's like all the, the songs. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you know how the Spotify algorithm works? 
Uh, I'd love to know more about it and show us show, so what our listeners. Yeah, so this actually, I again explained this this morning in the Feed Me podcast because this is recent information to me as well. Okay, well, explain it, it to me because um, I'm dumb and I, I haven't listened to that because it's dude, not it, out yet. It's it's overly simple. Um, basically, it finds somebody else who's very similar to you and it just shows you each other's tracks. Like it shows you what like each other's likes basically. So it's basically just like imagine if you and I were like in the same room like and I was like, oh, have you heard this? And like typed it into YouTube and showed you. And then you were like, oh, no, this reminds me like you probably like this, right? And like type it in. It's basically like that experience, but it's anonymous, anonymously. So it's kind of like the Facebook lookalike audience only for music. Yeah, that's exactly kind of what it is. It's, it Crafty. just finds, yeah, just finds somebody who's listening, uh, you know, styles and and behaviors are very similar to yours, and just goes like bam, 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 like feedbacks shit into both. That makes sense. That's yeah. a that makes sense. Cool. Okay, so um, uh, let's talk a little bit about the mixing of the record. Um, did you do like because it, it sounds very cohesive as a record, and I know you've been through some studio changes, pretty dramatic studio changes, and moved house in the middle of the record. So, um, did you do all of the mixing as like a separate stage and do all of them at once, or um, did you do them kind of piecemeal and they just all sound tight because you're Mr. Bill? Yeah, I did them piecemeal and they sound tight. Yeah, no. So the I, the way I do it is I just do like um and I I actually chatted with Dave about this tipper. Um, he does the same thing. Uh, I just do rounds on the tunes. Like I just keep going through them until I just can't anymore. So like yeah. I'll work. On, yeah, I'll just keep working on like each one each day basically. And like I can't work on the same one like every day or I get I get you know I can't, especially with mixing your ears get cooked. Yeah, exactly. You need to give it like a one or two week break sometimes to like even be able to identify what's wrong with a mix and stuff like that. Or play so it out. Yeah, something like that. I would just listen to it in your car or on a good on or on the Ordees or on uh, all these on the Ordees. But um, I love how you call them Ordees. You're like Ordees oh, old things. <laughs> yeah. Wait, how do you say Ordezy? I yeah, I think I, the, well, I've often heard it said Ordezy. Odyssey, yeah, I don't know. But yeah. Odds is pretty good. Odds, you know, Odd. ain't no Odd. thing. Just the Odd. craziest headphones in the world. <laughs> Odds nuts. Yeah. Hey. Well, um, I, I also like treated the fuck out of my room. Like, I don't know if you can see it back here, but see that like square panel, how it's like 17 inches deep of like trapping. Wow, you've been hanging out with Matt. Oh uh, yeah, this guy Steve Snelling built me all of this. But see that this giant one? This yeah, is, it's huge. It's massive. Huge. I thought it was a closet, goes, yo. No, dude, it goes from the ground to the ceiling, and it's just sixteen or seventeen inches wide of just trapping. And also, Sick. my entire front wall is a giant trap. Like here, I'll take my webcam off and show you. Look, the Whoa. whole front. This whole front wall is just sixteen to seventeen inches wide of just trapping. <laughs> it's like. The entire room is just a giant fucking bass trap. Hey, so, so I, I I went to the Hacienda Studios last week. Oh yeah, I didn't go there. And hung out with Matt. He that guy knows a thing or two about trapping. He does. Yeah, he he's probably rejigged it since I was there. But yeah, when I was there, it sounded fucking good. Insane. Yeah, big Though, shouts out to Matt I from will Hacienda. Say, yeah, dude, he's a fucking audio freak for sure. Though I will say, like, yes, it was probably like the cleanest studio I've ever heard. But I still don't think I would produce my best music in there. I think I would master my 
best shit in there. Yeah, it's a mastering studio. It's not. Yeah, like... exactly. I, I even I don't even necessarily think I would do my best mix sounds in there, just because it's like things sound too good in there. And I actually found this after Matt treated my studio at Dog. Uh, what's it called? Dog Dog Patch. Yeah, I think yeah, Dog, Dog Patch. Patch. Yeah, where I had my studio in Lafayette. Um, that was a good time. <clears throat> yeah, that was also a really good sounding studio. Um, I would say this one that I'm in now sounds about as good as that. Maybe not quite as good, but I kind of I, what I've realized since moving into smaller apartments and shit is I kind of like it sounding not quiet to that Matt Davis level, because when it sounds that good, you just play a saw wave through them through your speakers. And you're like, holy shit, this sounds so fucking perfect, and you like don't <laughs> it doesn't drive you f- enough to like make you know crazy enough sounds because it just already sounds so fucking good that you can just like run a filter up and down a saw wave and just be like oh i can hear like every partial it's amazing <laughs> yeah um, it really does sound good in there really yeah so the imaging is like shocking yeah exactly so it's that's it's just everything's kinda... all phase corrected frequency <laughs> corrected it's like it's it's like a almost like a religious experience listening to music in that room yeah exactly so i kind of i like uh i guess um having a room that's like you know maybe 70 percent of the way to where matt davis's studio yes i noticed you do not have a carpet i don't but it's also you don't really need one i mean i have a cloud right so the cloud's gonna stop it or i also like to you know swivel around on my chair freely yeah i i do the no carpet too just really dead everywhere and then no carpet and then dead on the ceiling yeah it's the move how's your studio in vancouver oh i love it I love it so much. It's so great. And I love that it's like... Um, you treat uh, it properly? Well, I don't know about tro- properly uh, <laughs> because I have to move my desk around a lot on the wheels. So I can't use the computer correction because I, I have to move my desk a lot to get in behind it. Um, so I have, I've not been able to use my, my room correction software, but the vibe is great and um, it bothers nobody. So nice. I can just be in there just rocking as loud as I care to for sometimes like 14, 16 hours a day. It's awesome. Damn. That's crazy. Is it um like, uh, how's the rent in Vancouver, by the way? Is it way Awful. more? Awful. Awful. Is, is, is yes. it like another San Francisco situation? Yeah. Yeah. It's like San Francisco or New York. It's terrible. Ugh. Terrible rent. Jesus. Yeah. But um, it's, it's worth it, man. Like just, we live in a beautiful neighborhood and Asha has like lots of kids around and stuff. And there's like lots of daycares and everything. It's just, it's just a much more appropriate environment for a family than our super raw dog Mm -hmm. LA warehouse with, I mean, I definitely miss having a PA in the living room and five studios at my house and like it being a constant raging party. Um, But uh we we like we were like yo we're not leaving the dojo unless we get our dream house and we got our like first choice dream house and there's like a guest wing with like we can have there's two studios for guests so we can yeah we can totally accommodate the homies and it's rad it's super super fun yeah i'll have to do a vancouver trip at some point yeah man play a show there i played there once i played at red red room i think it was yeah that venue is fantastic big shouts out to blake from digital motion yeah, they have the um, like function ones in there, and yeah, it's a pretty nice room. I played there with Sticky Buds. I think it's a PK. Is it a PK? It was. I yeah, think I, think it was... I think it's a PK. Huh, I thought it was functions at the time. Let's see, red. Room. Yeah, it's it's really nice though. They got an LED wall and everything, and just the whole layout of the club is great. I'm so glad that they managed to not lose that venue during the pandemic because the lockdown has been yeah. long and deep in Canada. Oh yeah, you're right. It does look like a PK. 
Yeah. Yeah. I guess, yeah, Canada is like super into the PKs here because it's like a company from Calgary or whatever. You know why? Because they're proud of Canada. Get it? Yeah. PKA. Um, uh, it's, it's a good one. Have you um, have you heard the void sound systems? Oh yeah, they're great. Plus they got those Dr. Zeus like tweeters. It looks awesome. Yeah. Yeah, they brought in a massive void sound system for the Red Rocks Tipper shows. It's crazy. Sick. Sounded incredible. Also, uh, those Tipper shows, they had the first 6K video wall ever used at an electronic show. Oh my. And it was also incredible. Yeah, it was it was pretty nutty, man. They they went they went ham with the budget. Obviously. Dude, my, my homie Gus has the best shirt. It's like Comic Sans, and it says, I saw Tipper at Red Rocks, <laughs> and it was pretty cool in Comic Sans. <laughs> it's such a great shirt. That's sick. Yeah, check out at your friend Gus. He's the homie. He's uh He's been advising me on computer stuff. He's like a hardcore computer scientist and a dojo member, and he's super cool. This is another um, uh, thing that I was going to say about the album <clears throat> is having friends to send mixes to for advice. Oh, that totally. Was, <clears throat> that was another huge part of the process. I was sending tons of shit um, to Eli, uh, Ellie Dirt, because I, I was trusting his ear a lot. And I was sending tons of shit to Ulisile because uh, I also was, I trust his, his ear. Uh, <clears throat> I mean, I, I guess I'm also just trust their ear like stylistically. Yeah. Um, like they kind of know like what I'm going for. And, and also I like to send my shit to people with like very differing mix opinions because yes. then uh, I just sort of take the medium of all of their advice and go like that's probably where, it wants, where I want it to be. Is like if some guy's saying that's way too bright and someone's saying that's way too dull and another person's saying like, oh, that's way too stereo and another person's saying that's way too mono, then you're like, all right, it's probably in the right spot like or close to, you know. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, I remember when I was doing the mix downs on my album, you were nice enough to give me some uh, feedback. And some of the feedback that you you gave me was to check out uh, Tonal Balance Control from Isotope. Uh, which yeah, I, I found incredibly useful. You uh, can take a kind of spectral reference curve from source material, whether it's a single track or a folder, and then it shows you how your track um, lines up to your reference across the spectrum and uh, dynamics. And I found that really, really useful. Are you still using tonal balance control? Yeah, you just reminded me of it. I haven't used it in a while, but I definitely use it on the album. And um, if I do it like another large body of work, I mean, I just throw everything I've got at it, you know, like every fucking mix tool I can find. I just throw throw the the, the whole kitchen at it or whatever you say. The kitchen whole, sink. I throw the kitten, the kitchen caboodle. sink at it. The kitten caboodle. <laughs> yeah. So I was like throwing like all these fucking nice. Uh, dude, another cool thing is um Ozone 9's uh, matching EQ. You can like take, you know, shit that um, has, uh, you know, you can take stuff that has, uh, what do you call it? Like, um, a, fuck, I'm getting tired. Uh, a spectrum. <laughs> a spectrum. Uh, and you can say, take a snapshot of that track spectrum. And I'll, the one I was using a lot was Skrillex uh, Humble Remix because it's just so tight. Oh, yeah, that track rocks. Yeah, it's insane. Um, so I was, yeah, getting... Uh, the spectrum of that one and then i was like using the matching eq and applying it to my tracks and seeing like how it sounded at a hundred percent and seeing like what it really wanted to push or or pull out of my tracks 
and then I would turn it off and sort of just do that, but on yeah. the channels. I see. I found myself using Neutron a lot like that because um, a tonal balance control is part of Neutron, and like uh, I would I would use Neutron and you know run the AI and then just see you know have it sound different, and then by the time the track was done, I would have disengaged all of the modules in Neutron and kind of just you know made my own versions of the processes after holding like shootouts for each of the, you know, like I'm like, oh, okay, well, it sounds good with some excitement in this area, but let's try all the different flavors of excitement in my toolkit and see if any of them sound better than others. Or, oh, you yeah, know, exactly. like it sounded better with this EQ curve, but which EQ am I going to do it with, you know? Um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's good to have that matching EQ thing just to kind of like um, point you in the right direction, I think, to be like, oh, it seems like this is the area that needs more attention or less attention. Or, um, and and I think like the, the, the thing for me with the AIs, you know, is that they, it's almost like having another producer in the studio where they just do things that you wouldn't do, you know, and then it kind of like, it, it's, it just challenges your thinking. You know, and then like, you know, by the time I find my way to the final result, it's just, you know, it's taken input from the AI, but it's not really like, like, it's only really a shortcut to see what a different take is. It's not like you just put the AIs on every track and go boop, 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 and we're done. You know, yeah. like it's. Yeah. It will be yeah. soon though. I mean, if that shit is all running via machine learning, it's only getting better every day. So, you know, at some point um, there will be a mix all button. I'm pretty convinced of that. And I can't wait for that because I fucking hate doing mixdowns. I think Yeah, doing mixdowns is probably the least fun part. Um, so are you worried about AI's uh, taking your jam? Uh, kind of, but also I think like our experience will just change when that happens. Kind of like in the same, the analogy I like to use is, you know, like when agriculture came about and then everyone was like, well, then what am I going to do all day if I don't have to hunt? You know, like, what is what is the human experience then? You're telling me I don't have to hunt anymore? Like, I just, there's food available to me. I can do anything else I want with my time. It's like, yes. <laughs> it's like then the human experience just changes, right? From having to spend your whole day hunting food to now just having it available to you all the time. So now you're like, oh, hmm, I guess I'll start, I don't know, building shit with wood or something. And then... And then yeah, I don't know. So I think like once you, you, your job gets taken, it's like you're then sort of just a you know, universal basic income, maybe hopefully in a perfect world gets implemented and you can just do whatever you want. So, um, so but you, do you envision a world where AIs will be able to make creative decisions or? Oh, 100%. Um, 100%, dude. Like no chance in hell is it not going to happen. Uh, and and do you, do you think that AIs are going to be able to um, evolve a style or just create uh, derivative iterations on a style? They'll 100% invent styles. Like AI is going to go so much further than humans have gone. And it's going to happen way faster than humans did it. Like no doubt in my mind. After just like kind of learning a little bit about how machine learning works, like it's, yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. It's okay, so crazy stuff. So what would it take to get you to accept a microchip in your brain? The Neuralink? Yeah. What, 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 what would make you be like, okay, I was hesitant before, but when they added that feature, chip me, baby. If they were like, uh, at, like everything will essentially be taken care, care of for you. Like doctor's appointments will just be booked for you when, when we know that you need them. 
medication will show up at your doorstep when we know that you need it. Uh, all of your tax returns and shit will just be done when we know that they need doing. Like if 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 you could like give up, uh, I guess all my privacy with the chip in my brain for every convenience possible, I'd be like, I'm in. So, are, but are you in in like a Wally way or like? In like, I still want to like be able to go and fucking ride my mountain bike way, but like, you know, if it like fixes a lot of problems, I don't know. What if the chip's like, eh, this is too unsafe. You don't get well, then, to do that. Your health insurance. Eh. <laughs> oh yeah. That's a good point actually. Yeah. If it like starts putting up ad, like ad blockers, but it's like mountain biking blockers. Cause it's like, oh, this is like too much of a liability. You can't be doing that shit. And like, <laughs> I, I have this nightmare where like I'm outside and then, and then the sky glitches and switches to advertising because I didn't pay the debts on the chip in my head. Oh, and then I'm like, oh, fuck. Oh, it's all ads now. Just like <laughs> dream about Coca-Cola and McDonald's. Be like, fuck, I, I got to pay this thing off. Damn, yeah, you've told me about this before. That's fucked. Because <laughs> you know it's going there. You know it, it's going there. I mean, it, yeah, it, it might be. I don't know how much the chip in the brain thing is going to happen, but I definitely, I mean, the AI thing is already happening. And I've got access to some beta AI shit that I can't actually really talk about, but it's fucking crazy. Just Google GPT-3 and okay. watch, some, watch some YouTube videos. Even the shit, even the information that's publicly available is insane. But the shit that I've seen and have access to in this beta world is way more insane. It's fucked up. It's so, so crazy. So the line for me that where I would take the microchip is being able to make beats in my head. If I could actually like compose music and then be oh, like, yeah. output wave file, glork, I would that I would be like, okay, sure. You can know what the, my most inner thoughts are. Go for it. Yeah, I guess so. And what about um I think even more importantly, be able to like input uh like any level of dopamine you want or any level of serotonin you want or like that's actually a nightmare situation. They've tried that with like rats you, you where they like have like a the dopamine brain lever. Yeah. And it's oh, like shit. nothing. Everything just becomes totally meaning, meaningless. Oh, and fuck. the rats are like ready for death after that. Oh, it's shit. like, it's like, um, you know, it's like imagine an orgasm that goes on for an hour and you're like, oh, that would be pretty sick. But like imagine an orgasm that goes on for like the rest of your life. Mm. And like, what does anything even mean at that point? <laughs> Uh, yeah yeah exactly and then if you take that away at any point you're just like oh man worst crash ever <laughs> yeah it's it's bad they've made the dopamine lever for rats and it's bad it's a bad situation mm. yeah but i mean if there was a way to like you know uh obviously go through all the debugging and stuff like that and they could figure out a way to like you know instantly solve mental health issues that way and you didn't have to take meds every day or like um you know so much shit can be fixed in the brain like what if tinnitus exists in the brain and you could, I like, think you know, to, to an extent it does actually, I think according I, to some I think, I think research. it does. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, it could solve tinnitus, which is currently unsolvable. Uh, it could solve Alzheimer's, you know, which is like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently uh, they have some pretty big advances with hyperbaric chambers with Alzheimer's actually, which is pretty mm. cool. And uh, burning aluminum. <laughs> Watch out for burning aluminum. Do not smoke weed out of pop cans, people. I see people do that shit at festivals, and that is apparently a recipe for Alzheimer's. They found out. Oh, uh, I've yeah, I've done that before. I've made many cone pieces in Australia out of Coke cans. Yeah, don't do that. That's uh, that's that's definitely will, will lead to Alzheimer's. Yeah, you don't want to be scorching Dude, aluminum. I drink like a lot of canned Lacroix. Maybe I shouldn't be doing that. I I don't know if the because uh, those cans are actually they have like a kind of waxy coating, so I don't think it's actually 
I don't think that's leaching aluminum into anything. I don't I don't know. I just know that when you heat aluminum, uh, you know, especially like, you know, with a lighter and like foil or a pop can, that that mm. is definitely a no-no for Alzheimer's. Do you know what they call that uh, in Australia? That that kind of smoking Oh, setup? I bet it's got some really hilarious name. <laughs> a Jaylee. A Jaylee! <laughs> yes! I love it! It's always with the E's and the O's. Oh, yeah, I yeah. love it. It's like, yeah, where you get a can like this, you like push in the end like that so you can like sit some weed in it and then you basically like just uh stab a few tiny little pinholes in there and then sit your weed on there and just smoke out of it like that yeah that's a, a jaily yeah, that's a I, I recently learned about shoeies shoeies yeah drinking a beer out of a shoe or whatever yeah that's totally a thing and, and so shoeies i've never i'd never heard of that shit until like my like early 30s or something so it was after i'd even moved out of australia but jaylees man i heard about that shit when i was 15 like i've done jaylees yeah <laughs> I, I i did a jaylee or two when i was like 14 what, what did you I, call them um just smoking weed out of a pop can it was not nearly as creative <laughs> you're just like i don't have a fight well we can do the thing with the pop can you know yeah, well, they, they call it jaylees in australia because it's like what you make in jail to yeah well get... it's very obvious where the name comes from yeah right? yeah yeah <laughs> What, and also, favorite, also, do oh, you know the, that they spell jail in Australia or British English, G-A-O-L? What? Yeah, it's the way it's spelled in British English. Weird. Mm. It's like what? goal, but with the A and the O switched. Yeah, it's definitely one is way better than the other. I, one of my favorite pieces of Aussie slang is a goon bag. Which yeah, is goon where bag. You, well, can you tell Sacco. us what a goon bag is? Or oh, it's yeah, also it's, AKA a Saka. Yeah, it's a sack of wine. So basically, um, have you ever heard of the game Goon of Fortune? No, but I'm about <laughs> to. <laughs> yeah, so pretty much a bag, a, a, a goon bag. It's like a, they usually cost like 10 bucks and it's like fucking five or six liters of wine. It's like the best deal ever in Australia because alcohol has is so heavily It's taxed. really expensive. I remember I bought a it's bottle expensive? of ACDC wine for like 20 bucks in Australia because I, I it was the literally just undrinkable oh, and it shit. was 20 <laughs> bucks. It was so bad. I've had some bad wine and it was, it was easily the worst wine I've had. Yeah. So Goon is like, I guess on the, yeah, it's the worst wine you'll have. It's definitely worse than anything you'll get. It can't in be worse than the ACDC wine. It, yeah. It's, it's very cheap. And basically what you do is, um, uh, Goon of Fortune is where you take the bag out and you peg it to a clothesline and like one of the clotheslines that spins and then everyone like stands around the clothesline and like spins it and like wherever the goon bag lands someone has to like take a big skull of it and then like you spin it around again nice yeah and then the other thing you do when you finish the bag of goon at the end of the night is you blow it up and use it as a pillow that's the best part for me that's what really <laughs> seals the deal with the goon bag is the goon bag pillow yeah it is. it's just it's it's like drunken aussie macgyver shit yeah, I mean, the the Jaylee is also that, I guess. But, I mean, I guess you do that here, too. So, it's not really Aussie MacGyver shit. It's kind of... No, worldwide. but it's a lot more charming when it's called a Jaylee. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I feel like you need to go like, hey, with your arm when you do <laughs> hey, it. Hey, let's go do a couple of fucking Jaylees, can. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Um, So, um, I take it you haven't been back in a while because of the, the pandemic. Oh, Any idea when you're going to be able to go back and visit Aussie friends or... Oh, man, I have no idea. Like at least two years. The weird thing is like I don't feel like it's my home anymore. Uh, so I don't know. And also they, they're like a, they've turned into a crazy police state now where like yeah. 
you can't fucking do anything there it's it sounds bad like the federal uh sorry the foreign policy there is just so fucked it's like even worse than here i think so yeah i read some crazy twitter thread the other day where someone's like essentially the australian government is like flexing on every possible like human right or freedom so it's right, not just it's not just the vax anti-vaxxers it's just crackdown across the it's board. everything like you can't go you can't leave the country if you want and you all i'm pretty sure you also can't go in right now or if you yeah do you, it, there's like, lots of aussies that are stuck outside <laughs> yeah it's grim dude yeah it is man and yeah it's en- essentially the government is exercising like every possible freedom reduction clause that they can possibly flex um, it's like like when they raise policy. prices on cigarettes and like they'll raise taxes on cigarettes and then the tobacco company will just get a big price hike in there too while well, you're blaming it on the government. Yeah, it's exactly. the same kind of thing. They're like, yeah. oh yeah, anti-vaxxers, so we're going to take away your driving privileges in some way or something. Exactly, you know? yeah, it's crazy. So yeah, um, people apparently can only be outside for two hours a day for exercise and to get groceries. And if you're out for more than that, you get like a fine or something. But I can't, I can't what remember. What the how. hell? I don't know how they can enforce that uh yeah so there's that you're not supposed to yeah there's a bunch of weird shit it's fucking dumb see that 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 part of the whole anti-vax argument i totally get that that the pandemic is being used as an excuse by the powers that be to to in australia make dramatic increases in their their police state bullshit i totally get that argument yeah in australia for sure 100 percent in America, that shit would never fly. Like, there'd be... I mean, there was uprisings, right? Like, it was fucking riots everywhere. Not over different shit, but, like, you know, there was that takeover at the... <laughs> um, uh, what was it? Yeah, in Seattle when they had the uh, the demilitarized... Or temporary autonomous zone. Yeah, the and, not, and the... Uh, what was that other thing in DC that got t- taken over? Where people were, like, wearing weird headdresses and shit and, like, jumping out. I didn't hear about this. Yeah, you did for sure. Uh, Washington DC riot. It's fuck. It was like January sixth or something. Oh, the um, insurrection. The, uh, yes, the insurrection. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, the insurrection. Yeah, you definitely. Yeah, that. Well, that's that 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 one's has not been nearly that punished. Right. Yeah, but yeah, the people out there. Your description of the insurrection was so like you're like yeah, people just wore things on their heads. I'm like. Is this like a religious <laughs> cult or something? But I got—I mean, I know, I know who you're yeah, talking you know, about. They're now. wearing Are. the things on their heads. That there's <laughs> that there's that picture of that of that guy. Yeah, the that, QAnon shaman. Yeah, yeah, the QAnon shaman. There you go. Yeah, yeah sorry, I was. I'm, who yeah, gets I'm who gets organic food because of his religion? I'm like, that is caucasity at its finest, ladies and gentlemen. Like, yeah, imagine dude. that guy was black and he was like, "Excuse me." Um, I only eat organic food. It's against my religion for to be imprisoned and only eat organic food. They'd be like, fuck you. You can grow organic food for Bezos, but you can't eat any of it. Because, <laughs> you know, Whole Foods yep. uses prison labor. But. Yeah, it probably doesn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I haven't been back to Australia in a while. Uh, and I honestly don't know if I plan to. I'm trying to get my green card here, which is like actually going hopefully well. It got denied once, but apparently we got a shitty officer. So yeah, that could—that's a thing. Yeah, that's apparently thing. If, if we like change two things and like resubmit, we'll probably get it. So yeah, because a lot of those people they just like they don't care. Like it's just paperwork yeah. to them. They're just like, yeah. oh, I hate this job. <laughs> right, yeah, you know, it's like, dude, this is someone's life. Yeah, they don't care. Um, dude, yeah, the last man. time I had to renew my visa, um, Nunik was nine months pregnant, so we went oh, across shit. the border on foot. 
to come back in oh, what? Uh, because we couldn't fly. So we went down to Tijuana and like uh, you have you have to do it like at the like foot? there's a like date. You... Yeah, we drove to the border to Tijuana and we went over the border on Tijuana on on foot and just like walked. walked around the lap. Like we just oh, walked like it was like a block. We just walked across yeah, and right. back. And uh, when we got back, there were these two um, customs guards and they had this, um, you know, dude in handcuffs there who is uh, uh, in the front and not in the secondary screening area. And they were like punching him in the stomach and stuff in front of all these people in the front, including my pregnant wife. Jeez. And but they weren't really like it was a really half assed beating, like they were just kind of doing it like here and there. And then in between the punches, they were showing each other pictures of cars on Instagram and arguing about whether Bugattis or Lamborghinis were better. And then just punching the guy just like intermittently Jeez. while they were arguing <laughs> about cars on Instagram. And I was like, this is just a job to these dudes. Like this is not like these are just not human beings at all. No, it was no, not. wild. Yeah, dude, I fucking realized that to the fullest extent how fucking much uh you know people who get into these sort of guard jobs are just the mostly egotistical power troopers there's some nice people in there that i've met but yeah oh totally and it's 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 like um especially when you're on a, a work visa like i remember when the pandemic first happened i got a email from my my visa agency and they were like hey you you can't get any aid from the u.s government or your visa will be denied like trump put out this order and was like anyone who takes aid from the government is like you know they're not getting another visa because why would you know they're taking jobs and they're taking aid and those foreigners and blah, blah 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 so the whole pandemic i'm like oh well i can't take any aid and then um and then they just like changed it at the end you know afterwards as soon as, as, soon as biden was in they're like oh yeah that's fine you could have got aid and i'm like god damn it so like it was so annoying because like those ppp loans and all that like there is that mm. would have really helped when i was uh lost my touring job and had a giant five studio warehouse complex yeah, dude. that i couldn't have anybody over at yeah dude that shit would have cost a lot of, yeah that rent there was surely oh, it was massive grandma. place yeah it was dude, fun actually, though it was really fun and we needed to move to like to have yeah. a more child appropriate place anyway. So whatever, yeah, yeah. I'm over it. You know, it was, it was a beautiful chapter of our lives, but you know, that chapter yeah, is totally. Yeah. Cool. Hey man, we should probably wrap this cause I'm fucking tired. Yeah. We're I've, actually, I've been, we're out uh, of questions. We've made it through all the questions. That's why I started asking you questions about brain chips and things oh, just, yeah, to, nice. just to see where we could take it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd be down to chat for ages, but I've been like trying to go to bed early, just to, like, you know, get my life routine a little cleaner. I, I got sick of doing the like going to bed at 3 a.m. shit and waking up at midday type. Yeah. Thing. So I've been trying to go to bed at like midnight, wake up at 8 a.m. So it's 10.30 now. I have to start like packing down. And So yeah, screen time yeah. is over. Yeah, exactly. Cool. Well, Bill, it's been a slice. Uh, it's been fun to ask you all these uh, questions and learn more about your fantastic record and uh, about how, yeah, dude. you know, how things are going for you, man. I miss you. It's great to catch up. Yeah, man. And Likewise. Yeah, it'll be awesome to finally hang out at some point, wh whether or not you're in SF or I'm in Vancouver. Well, we got our Mr. Bill Gates gig coming up. Oh, we got, um, we got did, a couple of them on the calendar, baby. I thought they got. Did they not get canceled? No, no. Other world. Other world. It's like Meow Wolf, oh, but like way that, bigger. Um, and in Ohio, it's 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 in like uh, November. Uh, it's gonna yeah, be the, sick, dude. The Columbus one. Yeah. Other world is bananas. And the dude, the dude who's a technical director is my friend Rick, who is like literally a sound scientist. 
and they have just a shockingly overpowered sound system there <clears throat> that is going to be like mm. like not all the way up at all so there's it's going to sound pristine uh, but yeah rick is rick is the best and shouts out to shannon too shannon joined our team at the dojo doing seo and stuff but his girl shannon is super rad too but yeah other world is going to be next levs and we got antennae on the bill too dude fuck yeah yeah um we should probably stop planning for that. yeah dude so you're gonna be seeing a lot more of me yeah so we great. have that and then do we have an, do we have another one? i think there's a couple mr bill gigs gigs on the tour um yeah, so just uh, it's in my it's in my cover graphic on every social media. Yeah, I see, I've seen that one going around the arrival. How's your album doing, by the way? Oh, uh, it's great. I, I hit number thirteen on the iTunes chart, which was pretty cool. Oh, um, crazy! That's and awesome. um, yeah, and um, in the first twenty four hours, it got uh, hit a hundred thousand plays on uh, Spotify. So that was that was pretty good. Um, I did one of those um, uh, marquee banners for it on the advice mm -hmm. of Daddy Kev over at Alpha Pup, mm -hmm. and uh, that made a pretty big difference. Um, so I'm definitely I'm definitely stoked about that. Um, so yeah, that was uh, that was really good, and um, we've got a whole bunch more new music videos coming out that are are pretty um, pretty stoked on, and the the audio video sets on the tour have been a whole other level, man. Like I got a pretty foolproof system for the audio video sets now where I don't have to rely on the pioneer mixers. And I have like a Serato sound card that kicks out two outputs that I mix in the mixer. So I just used a mixer for like analog mixing mm -hmm. and then all the video, like I have a crossfader on machine to do the video crossfader separate from the audio crossfader. And that setup has been really robust and yeah, uh, it's been working great. So I've been doing like fully sync, like you can scratch the videos and everything. It's super sick. Um, sick. So yeah, it's going to be really fun, man. In the other world, they're going to have, um, you know, the, it's like all the, all they have all the toys there. It's like crazy. Tight. Yeah, it's going to be really fun, man. Cool, dude. All right, well, I got to run. Um, but yeah, dude, awesome chatting with you. And um, yeah, send through your audio and then I'll start an email. Yeah, and then, uh, and then you can rock your new theme song, baby. <laughs> Fuck yeah, <dude. laughs> All right, have a good one, dude. All right, lots of love. Peace out, Bill. Congrats on the album. Thank you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Mr. Bill podcast. These episodes are edited and uploaded by Robert Fumo. You can also support the show, get early access to episodes and hear bonus content by going to patreon.com forward slash Mr. Bill's tunes and becoming a patron. Uh, please rate and review on iTunes unless you're going to be a little shit about it. And all the links to my various platforms are at Mr. Bill's tunes.com. Thank you. I'm a